3: What's up, party people, and welcome to Countdown to Classic. This is a podcast that educates, informs, and gossips about the highly anticipated World of Warcraft. Whoa, 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 what did I just say? Not highly anticipated, That said, typo. It's here, baby, holy shit. The currently available World of Warcraft classic, I gotta change that type. Each week we discuss the news, hot button issues, and content of the upcoming, oh fuck, I gotta change that one too, the now here again classic servers. I'm your host, Josh Corbett, and this is a show where I completely stuff up my type. No, where it's not my opinion on World of Warcraft that counts, but yours. If you are new to the show, Countdown to Classic goes through your expert input on everything relating to the upcoming release of World... I've done it again. That script has got to go. Alright, well, it's about World of Warcraft Classic. You get it. Okay. Well, Classic has launched everyone, and you're all out there playing the game now. Well sort of, and we'll touch on that topic to lead off the show amongst the abundance of great Classic WoW content coming at you today in this episode. But just before we get to that, here's a quick shout out for listener Lunken, who says, Josh, I would really love it if you could give a quick shout out to my girlfriend Liz, also known as Rechia, who got hooked to the podcast really quick after I told her about it. We're both really looking forward to Classic and to see what will happen to the podcast from there. Best wishes from Sweden, and thanks again for everything, man. And I'm absolutely happy to do that shout out. Rettjia is a huge supporter of the show over at Twitter and on Facebook. And I will happily say thank you to both of you for listening all this time. Now you all know the drill by now. This is a community-based podcast. So if you like what you're hearing, join the Discord and keep the conversations going with us all over there. Follow me on Twitter at Count2Classic with the number two. Email me at feedback at countdown2classic.com. And please do be sure to tell a friend about the show. Maybe the People that you're questing with at the moment. Let them know about Countdown to Classic. Everything you'll need is in the show notes, everyone, for all of these episodes, along with the show's Patreon link. If you'd really like to help keep the show going. Or if subscriptions aren't your thing, then you can help keep the lights on at Countdown by checking out the show's tip jar over at Ko Fi. And thank you so much to everyone who's been using Ko Fi lately. There's been a lot of you, and I really do want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Seeing those tips come in really has meant a lot to Patricia and I, so thank you so much. There's also Also, the show's merch store with some great designs over there for t shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, etc. So be sure to check that link too. And now, with all that out of the way, let's get into it with Calling Countdown. Alright, it's time for another countdown to Classic Call, and I'm so happy to be joined for this special launch call. The game is out there. Some of you have played it, some of you haven't. It was a wild and wacky launch experience. We're only really two days away from launch now, and we've got three callers on the line who are going to give us a varying, um, you know, sort of uh, a variety of spices, if you will, about their launch uh, launch experience. Now, Guys, let's go down the line and introduce everyone one by one. Taladrill, welcome back, mate. Always a pleasure to have you.
1: Always great to be here. Thanks, Josh.
3: Jamie, uh, the GM of the North American Alliance Countdown Guild. How are you?
4: I'm good. How are you?
3: Very well, thank you. Great to have you here. And a first-timer, Caboose42. How are you, mate?
5: Very good. Thank you to have me.
3: Mate, it's, it's a pleasure to have you. Now, look, guys. I'll just open up with what I went through and I feel almost guilty and spoiled because it was eight o'clock in the morning in Sydney when launch happened. I, you know, there was a little word going around the street before launch of like, hey, you know, if you log in 25 minutes beforehand or whatever, you won't have any dramas getting in apparently or it puts you in the queue early or something like that. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll give it a try. And I logged on to Aragal, the Oceanic PvP server, and got straight in. No queue whatsoever. I still have not seen a queue after two days of playing this game. I've logged on to the Oceanic servers all day yesterday, all day today. I just logged on to the North American server for the first time then and got no queue because it's three o'clock in the morning where you guys are at the moment. That's why. But not everyone had that experience. Things were wild. Things were wacky. Jamie, I might start with you. Um... Did you get any cues? What was your experience?
4: Oh, my cue was horrible. Um, I was in it for about nine hours yesterday. Um, it's it sucks because the people who got in before that half hour mark or whatever are the ones who actually got in the game. Um, I queued in about fifteen minutes before it started and um, didn't get in until, like I said, about nine hours later. So
3: that's how did you feel during that wait?
4: Um, I was trying to keep good spirits but it just sucked because like a lot of people in the guild did get in so it was just kind of like half of us did half of us didn't and like people kind of trickled in as the night went on and whatever but I, like I was pretty salty about it in the beginning but um, like now I'm not really mad about it right now just because I've basically been playing like since then yeah <laughs> but um, yeah it was uh, I, pretty bad
3: I can imagine my last question for you Jamie before we move on is It really would have brought the best guild plans unstuck straight away. Everyone just sort of, yeah, sure, we'll all wait together for an hour or two or three and then get in and then kaboom, eight, nine hours for some people, guilds all getting in all over the place. And now you're all disjointed and trying to figure out what to do in terms of getting guild charters signed and and everything you had in plan. Is that pretty much how it went?
4: uh yeah some of our plans got like a little bit derailed i was hoping to get the guild started but obviously i didn't get in as quickly as the other officers so they were able to get it all taken care of which was nice um but we talked a lot about like you know contingency plans and like what would happen if all of this like went to shit or whatever and we're still feeling confident in our decision but um we definitely picked like the worst like server in terms of queue times
3: all right. Well, I'm sure a lot of people are right there with you with the frustrations they felt over those, you know, 10, 20,000 cues that they saw. Taladrill, let's turn it over to you, mate. Now you were sort of, you know, amongst the frustrations doing a little bit of a touchdown dance at the same time, because you <laughs> saw this one coming as a lot of people did. Look, we were, a lot of people were screaming, Blizz, that's not enough servers. Now, Taladrill, Go on, mate. Give us your touchdown dance. <laughs> what, what was your experience? <laughs> this
1: is pretty much what I was expecting. Actually, it's it's even worse than I was expecting in terms of cues. I mean, some I heard last night, 17-hour cues. I mean, yeah. is, is that right? Like, can you believe that? Yeah. I mean, Blizzard said so early on we're not going to recreate the classic launch experience well congratulations blizzard you didn't you made it worse yeah. <laughs> it's literally worse than the classic launch experience
3: <laughs> well it's funny because i don't believe it, i i agree with you um taladrill absolutely but did anyone know i don't think a server actually crashed but they all stayed up but they just had these ridiculous queues would that be right
1: yeah i mean there seemed like stability was pretty good there were some people that crash and those poor souls that like they get through the queue log on and then it would crash like five minutes later can you imagine what that was like um but yeah stability seemed good like the layering technology was working well it's just the queues
3: yeah and i have had listeners reach out to me and say look yeah and i've seen it all on twitter as well just like you said taladrill waited for eight hours got in for one, kicked out another eight-hour queue. Like some people over the first two days have barely played this game and, and my heart goes out to them absolutely and I can imagine what they're thinking right now. But um, Caboose, we'll turn to you, mate, because you're a bit like me and we're not he- here to gloat or anything, but you, you know, being an Aussie, maybe the Aussies had it a bit better, but I know some Aussies didn't, but you didn't get any queues whatsoever. Is that right?
5: I was on the Fluffy Koala server, I guess you could say the PvE one. Ah. And so my my queue times were non-existent, but I had to go to work at 8 o'clock in the morning, so I had to wait all day to come home to be able to play, oh. which was a bummer of itself. But there was no queues at all on the PvE server, and I did try to log into the PvP one. I got about an hour queue, so I just hopped on my PvE server again and was happy as Larry.
3: It's funny, mate, because I have heard people, and um, a long-time listener, Jay, I believe, was um, one of these players as well, who got so frustrated with the PvP weight that they ended up just creating a PvE character and screwing around with that. Um, I wonder how many people did kind of bite the bullet and go, Oh, this isn't worth it, I'm rolling PvE. I mean, it's it's, it's an interesting dilemma
5: yeah i feel like if you it would be a streamer's paradise if you were concentrated on you know raids and not worried about pvp um but it was great the longest i had to wait for for anything was getting the medallion from valley of trials for about two minutes and that was about
3: Hmm. taladrill i'll bring i'll bring it back to you just to piggyback well not piggyback to continue on with the point you raised now A lot of people were saying, you know, particularly in Australia, I mean, the Australian server the last couple of days before launch was, as we're seeing that notation of, like, the server is full, everyone's saying, hey, there's one Australian PvP server, like, this is going to be bonkers on launch day, more people are going to come in, you've only got one, there's nowhere for anyone to turn, but there... Create the new server now. Don't do the knee-jerk thing where you create it in the middle of the day on launch day. And guess what happened? They created two new ones, one on launch day and one today, I think, which I I, I struggle to see how they didn't see this coming. Now, I've been harping on about this, but look, it's one of those things, and I'll get you to take the ball and run with it, where... I appreciate that they've got to be conservative. I know they need these things to fill up before they create new ones, but surely you've got some stats at hand that say shit. We better just start one a bit early. What do you think, Taladrill?
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It was it was funny. I was seeing a lot of I'll just say Blizzard apologists that were saying, "Well, then just just roll on a on a low pop server." When the game launched all but four servers were literally labeled full for america so it's like where are they going to go every server is full so there was no avoiding queues, even if you wanted to and that blizzard should have clued in and said okay uh we, we need more servers just for more options for people who do want lower population options hmm.
3: jamie i'll bring it back to you now um have things somewhat stabilized with the guild? Is everyone getting in? Is everyone happy now? And have you heard any other horror stories from friends of yours yours that maybe aren't in the guild or are in the guild of particularly bad or good experiences?
4: Uh, We do have people that are obviously not happy with the fact that they can't play either today or yesterday. Um, We're kind of just stressing that this is, you know, the very beginning of what we're hoping is to be like a long-term option for us that like you know a year down the road the server is going to be very strong whereas all of these doing servers that blizzard is spinning like there's no guarantee that it's not just going to be full of tourists that are leaving because they don't want to wait in queues you know so um there are definitely people that are like being very negative about it but um we still are pretty confident that we made the right decision
1: you know that's an actually a really interesting point i haven't thought of is clearly the hardcore ones are going to be more likely to succeed with enjoying a higher pop realm because those were the first servers that came out because there were so few options. But at the same time, that might really bite us uh, hard because those are the people that are also not going to be the tourists. They're not going to leave. What the heck is blizzard going to do when their queues remain for a long time?
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, we're thinking as well, but I, I, I think that the Classic team overall has dealt with all of these issues really well. Eventually, I don't think that they get everything right out the door. And this is just one of those examples that, like, yeah, it was a shit show. It was launched. It was all expected, right? So I do still have faith that they'll, like, come up with some kind of solution to this problem of these, like, mega servers that have so many people that, um, you know, whether they're tourists or not, I I still think that they're going to come up with some kind of option for us um one of them that um some of our guild members were discussing i don't know if it was like a reddit post or something but they were saying that um a good solution to these really big ones like herod and whitemain and farolina would be to add the option for people to um like move on to like a separate locked realm for a few days um and then not open it up to the general public until people you know Um, can, it like, guarantee that they get their names and can move with their guild and all this stuff. Like, the problem with them adding all of these guilds, like, very last minute is that, like, we have, I think, about 350 people in our Discord right now, and we can't move that many people, like, when you announce the realm, like, a few hours before you open it, right? So um, just the way that they've approached these new realms opening has just been very poor for, um, like, larger guilds like us that constitute, like, I think a pretty big population in these... um, like, guess you'd call them, like OG realms with I, the more hardcore players, like you said.
3: I agree, Jamie. And, and guys, I guess I'll open this one up to the floor when I say this. Like, I'm not here to necessarily, you know, throw, you know, jump on the dog pile of Blizzard, but it is just, it takes me back a, a step back a little bit where I go, like, I really, I know it's so hard. And, and to give credit to Blizzard, it's so hard to prepare for these things in terms of the launching of an online game. You know, this happens all the time when new MMOs launch. We're used to it. But. Something like this isn't the servers going down. Like we said, the servers were stable. They were great. Great job, Blizzard. We'll give you a pat on the back for that one. Your servers, if you got in, you're laughing. This thing is buttery smooth. It was great. Nothing crashed. However, just the simple side, like the admin side of it, or the side of, of picking numbers, um, it does seem to be a thing for me where I'm like, I'm surprised that such a large company has dropped the ball on this one. And and, and again, with with all the... It just comes back to, you know, a lot of people do the thing where they say, oh, they've underestimated Classic yet again. And uh, maybe a bit of that, but it's also that, uh, I guess, uh, maybe they just have these grand plans that really they thought all these people were going to quit later down the track. And they didn't want to release the service because they're like, why are we opening service for people that won't be there in a month? Anyone?
1: I think they're looking at uh, current Blizzard metrics, and they're not looking at what the metrics were when Vanilla came out. And I mean, to a certain extent, that makes sense, because they think it's the modern player base, and so their modern clientele. But they should have spent more time thinking about how Vanilla actually rolled out and how the popularity of it was. It's not like people are that different. The game is popular, and it's going to be well-received.
4: Uh, I mean, this has created, like, a problem for our guild and everything, but I still think that, like, they approached it in the right way, just because, like, the reason that they made so few realms and were so conservative about the number is because they were concerned about people ending up on dead realms, and, like, so they're looking out for the community by doing this, and I still Mm -hmm. believe that, even though they were, like, totally off the mark, Mm -hmm. um... They they had the right interests. Oh, oh um, when I, they were making those decisions, so.
3: I, I don't doubt that at all. I think you're spot on, Jamie, and it's a great point to to raise. Is I with understanding the ethos behind it. Yes, they, they they've got to look out for number one, which is the community. It's 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 just a funny thing that in looking out for us, they also do kind of end up hurting us in the same. I, I guess maybe it's it's the lesser of two evils. Maybe they're they're damned if they do, it damned if they don't. Um, now, sorry, uh, you were going to tune uh, chime in there, caboose.
5: I was just wondering if Blizzard had, um, when the pre, pre-name launch came out, so when you could reserve your name, if the amount of people that did that and then Blizzard maybe did like an extra 10 or 15% on top of however many people reserved their name and, and they had a small estimate and then people finally decided to make a character on launch and it just blew way out of proportion compared to what they thought might have happened.
3: Fair enough. Now, I guess we should get a bit more into the positive side of things as well. Unless anyone has anything more on this point, Taladrill, I'm not sure. I'll, I'll throw it over to you first, Taladrill, in case you do want to tie off on that point. But let's get to when you actually got in the game. Guys, did you have fun, Taladrill?
1: I did. Um, it, it was interesting because it seemed like, uh, from what I'd heard from beta people, that that their like, dynamic, however you would call it, respawning was, was very fast and efficient. Uh, it seemed pretty slow to me, like there was a lot of waiting for that initial push. Um, I would have liked to have seen that ramped up a little bit higher because there was just standing around waiting for stuff to respond for quite a while. Um, apart from that, I didn't get cues because I got in half hour early like others that succeeded, so it was pretty smooth, you know, so it was really fun to play.
3: I um I can tell you guys that you know same as I said you know once I got in the game and I didn't have to wait luckily but once I got in it was a blast to see and yeah the the dynamic respawns were quite interesting or you know whatever you might term it. it, it did work rather it's rather smooth me. I should just raise one last point, actually. Sorry, just before we get to this. I forgot this part, guys. Taladryl, I just want to get you to clean up on this one because one listener at Cracker Man who's been on the show before asked a question that actually I had as well, and you can probably explain it better. I thought Blizzard brought in layering to avoid the queue times on launch day and that's kind of how it was sold to a certain degree now more recently we got yes you will get queue times even though layering is going to be a thing why is it that we had to deal with both now
1: um i think blizzard specified somewhere that they were going to have a max number no matter what so that's pretty much it so imagine that a normal realm without layers would be five thousand people And then maybe what they do is they have a hard cap of four layers. So say you have about 20,000 total people on the realm because they want to make sure that there's enough of that buffer for later, right? Um, But they don't want too many because then there is no buffer. It would just be insanity, like white main or something. Just allowing everybody on there would then have no outlet for when they want to remove layering. So that's why they have that that cap you know mm. so that's why you get both is when there's too many people even beyond the layers that you still get that effect and they did say that there was a hard cap of the number of people that they were going to allow per server for that effect
3: all right now sorry I'll, I'll, thanks for that tal just wanted to sort of tie that one off but now um guys i'll let you know like i i've been running with a group for the last two days i I haven't really streamed it's funny i said obviously in the last episode i was going to stream the shit out of classic um a funny thing happened where i have a leveling group on the aussie server and two things i number one just everyone's in voice comms and just sort of chatting to each other and and i was sort of getting caught up in that and then it kind of like I, i wasn't having as much fun um, just those first couple of days streaming the game as I thought I would. I, I sort of I wanted to enjoy that moment a bit on my own. So, if anyone's wondering, that's where I've been. I've just been kind of taking this in, and and ha- I've been having a lot of fun. And it was just the stream was a bit distracting for a second so i will get back to it very soon though so don't worry about that probably just in the next couple of days once i've I've run the zerg through to you know level 20 or whatever but um jamie let's go to you now talk to me about some of the fun that you've been having have you you, you just got out of a dead run as well isn't that right
4: oh yeah it's so fun um i just basically like i said have not stopped playing since i started um so i went from level 1 to 16 or 17 I don't even know what level I am right now but um it's it's just so cool like finally being able to like play with all of the my guild members that I've been talking to for for months now um mm-hmm. and actually being able to experience the game with them so I'm um, just looking forward to more of that
3: that's great. Already thanking people for like some clutch heels or anything like that, some, <laughs> some saves. Oh,
4: I'm I'm the clutch heels. <laughs> <laughs> very
3: good. Very good. All right. Caboose, how about you, mate? Have you been making friends, having fun?
5: Um, Having a great, great time with the tiny bite sized chunks I've been able to play so far till I get to the weekend. But one thing, I'm sure you'd agree, Josh, that it is so awesome to be able to play this entire experience with a ping less than 100 and just buttery smooth it's like i it's like the best thing in the world and for all australians i I reckon
3: i must say um i really undersold the effect of the low ping and and i am i'm literally playing my character on the north american server as we speak just doing some mindless grinding that i don't have to concentrate on while um we talk but The low ping versus, you know, the 200. So I'm getting about 18 MS on the Aussie server at the worst of times and about 210 MS on the American server at the worst of times. And it really, it sounds like nothing, but it is a big difference. And it is a godsend, to be honest with you. And and I'm enjoying the Aussie server. But, um, you know, it's not like 200 MS is game breaking, so it's perfectly fine. But yeah, I'm glad that the Aussies can enjoy that, mate. Now, Taladra, I'll throw it over to you for this one, because another funny thing, obviously everyone's talking about how smooth and how uh, the experience is and how much fun they're having. I think another big part of that is... It seems like the game has come a long way, even since, I mean, obviously since the beta, but even since the last stress test, like I'm not bumping into many bugs. I'm not bumping into anything that really makes me go like, huh, what the fuck happened there? Have you had the same experience?
1: Well, I can't answer that much because I wasn't on the beta. So Mm. yeah.
3: (laughs) From what, from any videos you saw or any word that you heard?
1: I can't tell. One thing that I didn't realize was that the grass moved. I know that doesn't really mean anything, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I thought that's really cool. I was like, oh, that's a nice little effect. So uh, the the lighting is really pretty and and the small little effects, and it doesn't really affect any of the uh, the actual gameplay of classics. So I've been appreciating that a lot.
3: It's a great point, actually, Jamie, I'll ask you about, because I've been playing with all those environment effects jacked up to max, and, you know, you've got all the extra grass and everything everywhere that moves, as Taladrill says, when you move through it. Um, And some people were saying before launch, like, oh, that's not my vanilla, that's not my classic or whatever, and I'm going to turn all that shit off and, and just play the game as it was. Have you been playing the game with the different graphics? Have you been enjoying them, or what's your feeling on it?
4: Um I mean like I haven't even messed with my graphic settings. I'm more just concerned about like the gameplay itself. So mm. that's never really been a point of too much interest to me. Although we did have some people in the guild talking about how pretty the water is now. So I think uh, it's appreciated overall like the the small tweaks like Teldril mentioned.
3: Sure. Caboose, I'll, I'll ask you I ran I'm not sure if you're playing um Horde or not mate, but I ran through Molgor today with my leveling group and and shout out to Auntie who was with me. And Auntie made the comment that I noticed as well straight away, and we were talking about it, how beautiful um, Mulgore looks with this the vast grassy plains now with those extra um, environment effects with the grass and everything. It just looks stunning. And, and as Antti said, they took a beautiful zone and made it even better. So I really think the classic is leaping off the page and looking beautiful. Have you experienced that, Caboose?
5: I've experienced the best shades of red ever in Durata, so um, there's that. But I, I love how they've given us a beautiful classic, um, classic look. But at the same time, you can also put your graphic settings down to have that true, true classic experience. Mm. Um, some friends of mine knew of someone that literally went out and bought an old CRT monitor just to experience it like it was <laughs> 2005 again. <laughs>
3: um just real quick Taladrill out of interest uh water detail high or low do you like the old school or the new school
1: you know the water i'm a little bit i'm sort of on the fence on both sides i think the new is really pretty but there's something about the old that's really classic that it never was really that bad in the first place so yeah it's a hard one for me
3: Hmm. Now, I'll throw this one open to the floor. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm low uh, quality all the way, by the way. I, I Initially, I do like the new one as well, but I've been playing with it on, on the old school one, so I, I like that. But guys, have, have any of you been keeping tabs of the speedrunners? I know that I've been keeping an eye on Alenia. She's doing really well. But um, I, I think that it was... she. Unfortunately, she got booted from the game. She got disconnected and, and got set back a little bit for a, uh, about an hour or two there, I think, on launch day. But have you guys been keeping pace of uh, how the world race for World First is going? Going?
5: I've been tuning into the method stream every so often while I was at work, right. um, just to see how their their speed levelers were going. Last I saw, they were about thirty.
3: I heard the 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 method speed levelers were a bit behind. Um, I, I mean. It was a funny move by Method because they they advertised it as a race for for world first and it confused a lot of people and then they sort of came out and said, no, it's not our people racing for world first. We know we're not going to get the world first, but we're just broadcasting it through the eyes of our presenters. And it it was a bit of a funny one, but I mean, I I understood what they were doing, but um, I haven't tuned into the stream yet. So I'll have to uh, check that out at some point and see what they are putting together production-wise. But um, I mean, the race is still on and I'm sure by this time next week, i'll be able to tell you who it was so i'm, I'm looking forward to that i think everyone's around the mid 30s at the moment the top flight levelers so we'll see what happens from here now in terms of uh other world first anyone um sort of or claiming server first uh i anyone running through dungeons and and trying to race to a particular piece of content jamie have you gotten any awesome gear already from your dead mines run just then that you're happy about
4: uh they were all caster drops but that's fine um we're, we're not like rushing or anything as a guild uh, we're just trying to take it you know to make sure that people don't get burned out or anything
3: I, i've got to say um taladriel I'll, I'll get you to piggyback off of this comment because i literally just about an hour ago got out of a uh, run through wailing caverns uh, we ran it twice back to back and this lovely aussie group uh, my guild members um gave me so much shit and lovingly of course very tongue-in-cheek and i loved every second of it but i won every role and i was rolling on everything because i was a hunter and i you know we've <laughs> yeah, talked perfect. about you know we've we talked about the meme of everything's a hunter weapon or everything's a hunter item and blah 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 and you know i understand it and i've had fun with you guys over the last 18 months talking about that and then I actually did it for the first time and I felt so guilty, sort of, because I was winning all these roles for all these items and it became a bit of a joke going, oh yeah, wow, Josh, the, uh, the old loot thief taking it again. And, um, it, it just, it was quite funny sort of learning a new class and, and understanding the stigmas behind a new class. But I got this awesome, uh, back piece in Wailing Caverns, the one with six agility and, and two stamina, oh, you know, I think. Nice oh, it's so nice. But um yeah, Taladrill, any any cool moments for you? Uh
1: it's been just chill. I've been I enjoyed um I had a good group of three or four people initially. We were pretty tight through the starting zone and I could have escaped it and, you know, got some like um uh discovery experience or something like that. But I was just enjoying just mm-hmm. sort of going through the quests even though they sucked Hmm. and it was fun just to hang out with these people and we were just sort of chatting about stuff and they were saying how like even though we're standing here waiting for stuff to spawn it's been more fun than retail just because of all the talking Hmm. learning about each other that kind of stuff so that was that was pretty cool um so yeah it's just good to get that social stuff back into it and uh and enjoy that definitely but i've been just taking it easy
3: too easy well look caboose how about you um did you level solo or with a party
5: i'm currently leveling solo at my own pace so but i'm talking with friends who are currently um also playing but yeah just at my own pace
3: well that's definitely something i'd love to ask you about because i mean i've been doing it with a party and and i've literally i haven't been solo for you know one minute except for now as i'm soloing through this interview with my brand new character as of an hour ago um i've been in a party for the last two days a five-man party and so for you what was that launch madness like with everyone going for all the quest mobs and everything as a solo player
5: um pretty pretty good um when it comes like when it came to certain um, areas where you needed just to kill one particular Everyone would form up Q um, groups so you get through it pretty quickly. Um mm. everyone's everyone was pretty friendly like that, just to form a quick group if if we needed to.
3: Mm. Has anyone had a quest nightmare? Um that, that's I mean, I've obviously seen things like I presume Sarkoth was madness, I completely skipped it. Um, there was there's been some things in whaling caverns on our way out to get the ninety nine year old port or whatever we saw that there was a huge amount of people trying to tag the spawn there. And it's kind of like my group has had the worst luck in in terms of fighting people for tags. I think, um, you know, the Harpy, um, what is it? Serena, Bloodfeather or whatever. We stood there for about 20 minutes trying to get tags and kept getting robbed and we were blowing up. Has anyone else had any dramas trying to get any quests done?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I had a problem today tower of alphalax is just as horrible as i remember it i died so many times there it was really irritating
3: all right now guys um we might caboose you've you've, you've got to head off soon so uh Guys, we might wind this one up there. Look, I didn't want this one to drag on too long. Thank you for taking the time out, obviously, from your busy classic experiences on day two of classic being out to do this for me. Mm-hmm. I really do appreciate it. Guys, unless there's anything else that anyone really needs to say, um, I'll, I'll say thank you one by one. Jamie, thanks so much for being here.
4: Yeah, happy to be on the show again. Thanks.
3: Taladrill, mate. Thanks so much. And, and Nostradamus, you've done it again
1: thank you it's always a pleasure appreciate it
3: and caboose 42 mate thanks so much for coming on for your first time i appreciate it
1: thanks for having me
3: All right, it's time for another countdown to Classic Call. And I am so happy to welcome for this very, very quick PSA that I really do want everyone to sort of listen rather intently to because it is very important. We've got Serafina. How are you?
2: Very well, thank you. How are you?
3: I'm great. Thanks so much for joining us. And I got a phenomenal email through the week from Serafina, who works as a nurse and had some amazing health advice for people to keep in mind. While we all go a little bit nuts and play the hell out of this game on launch, and obviously by the time you're hearing this uh, call, the game will have been out for a day or two, but this is something that you should all take into account over the next few weeks. So, Serafina, let me ask you, what are the primary health concerns for players sitting down for really extended playtimes in games like World of Warcraft Classic on launch?
2: Anytime you are sitting for an extended period of time, be it in a long car ride, um, a flight, or going hard for 12, 18, 24, 36 hours at launch of classic, you are at risk for developing a DVT and that turning into a PE. And what a DVT is, is a deep vein thrombosis. Um, It's essentially a blood clot that frequently occurs in your legs. And a PE is a pulmonary embolism. So that blood clot in your legs can dislodge, and just because of the way our vascular system is made um, it can travel and if it travels it will go basically directly to the right side of your heart and your right side the right side of your heart pumps into your lungs so we can get oxygen in our blood um, and that can cause a pulmonary embolism or a blood clot in your lungs
3: okay that doesn't sound good how do i get around that or avoid that
2: (laughs) yeah no it's it's not good at all and um, as a matter of fact, the uh, the American Thoracic Society, and these, these estimates are only for the U.S., um, estimates there's about a million PEs, or pulmonary embolisms, per year in the U.S., and about 15% of those are fatal. Uh, but for every case that's diagnosed and treated, there are about uh, two and a half cases, average, that um, are actually fatal and only diagnosed after death. So very, very not good. Um, <laughs> The, the best way to avoid them is to get up and move. Take breaks, stretch, take walks. Um, if you're sitting for long periods of time, fidget, move your legs. Don't sit on your legs. <laughs> um, you can keep them slightly elevated. Uh, try to stay hydrated, drink water. And if you really want to go gusto, you can uh, buy some compression socks.
3: Now, what are some of the symptoms that people might want to look out for if they're a bit worried that this might be setting in?
2: Um, For the DVT or the blood clot in your legs, um, if you have any pain in your lower legs, especially the calf area, um, if that area is red, uh, warm to the touch, or looks swollen, For example, if you hold your two legs side by side and one is obviously larger than the other, um, definitely seek some medical attention for that. For the PE or the pulmonary embolism, the biggest symptom of that is pain and shortness of breath. Um, You will usually have chest pain. Any chest pain should be evaluated by a healthcare professional, uh, but especially if it gets worse when you're taking a breath, like you feel like you really can't catch your breath or take a deep breath because of the pain. Um, Like I said, any shortness of breath, especially that appears suddenly, or a cough with blood-tinged sputum or just coughing up blood, obviously seek medical attention immediately for that.
3: All right. Yeah, I think death is pretty much the number one debuff that we'll be trying to avoid in game, or well, sorry, I should say in real life. Now, outside of that, uh, obviously the, the, the deep vein thrombosis, what other kind of conditions would people look, be looking to avoid or what's quite prominent amongst gamers?
2: Honestly, that's, that's the big one that causes a significant risk for death. I mean, obviously, we shouldn't be sitting there munching on Cheetos for four or five days as our sole source of sustenance, but that's probably not going to kill you.
3: Outside of, you know, you mentioned getting up and walking around for the, the DVT stuff. Just in general, being active, things like if you're on a long flight path, you know, maybe just get up and shake it out or walk around the house. Is that the kind of thing we're talking about?
2: Absolutely. Any movement is good. Um, and like I said, even sitting in your chair and fidgeting, just move around, you know, point your toes, draw a circle with your toes, you know, point your big toe, draw a circle, just move your legs. Don't leave them stationary. And also, like I said, don't don't sit on your legs because um, that can cause even less blood flow. And that's what we need to do when we're getting up and moving is to get those blood that blood flowing in your legs.
3: Excellent. Well, look, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I really must stress everyone, please do look after yourself through this period of time where we will be spending a lot of time with the game. This is really something that now before this call, even I was looking into, I'm, I'm not going to lie here. I was thinking about what I was going to do to stay active and get the blood flowing during long sessions. And I'm so glad. I mean, God, those stats, you just Uh, mentioned scared the hell out of me so i'll really keep an eye on it everyone take care of yourselves move around get up and get active a little bit at least you know like i said fidgeting walking around the house and just do what you can to stay healthy so look i I can't thank you enough for this seraphina thank you so much it means a lot to us
2: you're most welcome it was a delight
3: All right, it's time for another countdown to Classic Call, and this is one that is really, really, really going to be important for me coming into World of Warcraft Classic, because as a lot of you know... I am planning on playing a shadow priest as one of the two characters that I'll be rocking and rolling with in game. You guys will have heard on the show recently that I'm playing uh, a hunter on oceanic servers and a priest on the North American servers. And that priest is going to be a shadow priest. I might fall in love with healing, but I plan on playing a lot of shadow. Now, I need to know more about this spec, and so I've enlisted a fantastic person who's done a lot of work with this spec online over at YouTube, and that is Ooze. How are you, mates?
6: I'm good, man, and I'm happy to hear that you've decided to integrate your shadow.
3: (laughs) I can't wait to to, uh, embrace the shadow and get involved with not only the priest class, but also this particular spec. Now, it is one that I feel gets spoken about a lot i think most people are pretty aware that shadow priests are pretty fun and a kind of badass yeah the spec does have negatives and we'll go through that during this call a lot of people are quite aware of them with the manner issues and and whatnot but we'll go through that but for the most part i think the community is pretty universally accepting of the fact that They're pretty cool. They're pretty fun if you're okay with certain, you know, things with with the spec. Now, mate, I'll start with you. And we'll we'll start very generally and work our way a bit more specifically as the call goes on, as I generally do on the show. Tell me why Shadow Priest for you. What's made you fall in love with this spec and devote time to theorycrafting with it and breaking down guides for it online?
6: Well... So I was first playing a mage, and I was ranking at the time, I believe, and I saw Beckon's PvP video. It was probably PvP Priest 4, I believe. Anyway, it was amazing. He's in shadow form, and he's just wrecking everybody, and I loved it. There was another shadow priest. I don't know his name. They ended up changing this mob, however, but he was mind-controlling some mobs, some elite, outside Alteric Valley. And... With mind control, this elite particular elite was just one shotting everybody. It was it looked great, you know? You got dispel, mind control, shadow form, the aesthetics. It looks really good. And you're a snowflake. You're the only one in the raid who looks the way you do. And when they see you, everyone knows you have to go through hell to earn that Shadow Priest spot and to get the gear. It's not like a warrior or anything else
3: okay now i want to go through some of the you know finer points of the spec and and we'll talk about the ups and downs but you know it's definitely something that you know i'm not going to lie the pvp um how do i term this the the openness of how how attractive the spec is to pvp newbies maybe that's the best way for me to put it i feel like the skill floor and a lot of people say the skill floor is relatively low for people who are looking to pvp with a shadow priest if you want to jump in you don't have to be the most skilled player you're still probably going to be able to melt faces along with everyone else so do you find that again if we're speaking to people that are considering rolling a certain class or or, or spec in classic have you found that with the pvp gameplay with shadow priest that yeah look it probably is a little bit easier than than others or do you think there's a bit more nuance to it
6: yeah i mean it's pretty easy as far as 1v1 goes you're gonna run into things like you know how well can you juke a pummel or a kick or a counter spell uh, it's going to come into, what are you going to do with your global? Are you going to shield yourself, dispel, or an instant cast or offensive dispel versus defensive? So it, it, it's more open to, I don't know, there's just a lot of decisions to make on which global to use. I'd say more so than other classes. There's also the aspect of popping out the heal. And then once you, once you mix it up to group PvP, uh, if you have... A partner with you or maybe a duo with you it completely changes things and you'll find yourself the bigger the group pvp party it is the less often you'll be in shadow form and the less you'll be casting damaging spells so it's really cool it's it's got a lot of layers to it
3: Now, mate, one thing that I just spoke about earlier in the day with uh, DefCamp and FarQ about priests in general was this one, and I'll be publishing these calls a few weeks apart, so it will have been a couple of weeks ago on the show, but... There was an argument that the guys were obviously highlighting how amazing it is once you get shadow form. And, you know, it's funny that priests do have to wait a little bit longer until level 40 to get that significant bump in performance that a lot of other classes might get around level 20. But once they get it, you know, who boy, is it worth it? But prior to getting shadow form, I I mentioned this one post that I saw with a really, really passionate uh, theory crafter who was a priest saying... It's a shame that the stereotype has become that shadows the only way to level as a priest up through to 60, whereas he was an advocate for holy leveling and then making the switch to shadow only at 40 once you get shadow form. Have you heard about this at all, and do you know much about it, or do you disagree with that, or perhaps maybe agree with it?
6: Yeah, really, before shadow form, uh, you're going to be wanding mostly. Spirit tap is, is great, of course. Holy Nova can pop rogues, but it really depends what your play style is. Are you going to be spamming dungeons? Do you have a leveling partner? You know, and if the answers to these questions is yes, then uh, going holy would probably be a, a good idea. Really, going shadow just off the bat is really more for the solo player. Um, but yeah, you, you could get an improved smite or something like that in the holy tree and go that way.
3: I think it was an argument that the combination of Holy Fire plus that, um, you know, buff that you get to smite along the way does, you know reasonable damage to the point that it was slightly eclipsing shadow in the 20s and 30s but look I, I don't know enough about it to really comment any further I just I, I really was captured by the passion of this person and and how much they were shouting about it they might be wrong I don't know but I've just've it's made me consider because we hear about smite priests as well and um in rating and whatnot as well some people like try the smite priests maybe there's a bit of action there outside of shadow but let's talk about rating real quick and you know like you say if you are that one person who who generally most guilds will will take one Shadow Priest. You know, a lot of guilds will take zero, but, um, you know, there's not many that'll take two. But if you are one of those people who becomes the Shadow Priest of your raiding guild, like luckily enough, I've been given the all clear by the guild that I'm with. Um, Tell us about how fun it is to play Shadow in a raid, you know, with the rotation that you get, but also how hard is it to manage mana? Are you kind of doomed without those pots and runes?
6: You are absolutely doomed without pots and runes, but, you know, congratulations on landing that shadow spot. It's uh, It does feel good, and it's a big responsibility. You have to have 100% attendance. You have to have your full consumables. You know, you don't want resentment from the mages or the warlocks or anybody else, really. Um, and But yeah, mana is an issue. It really is. I made a video about, you know, should you spec with mental agility? I say no. And that's because you're really not going to be using instant casts on boss fights, particularly. You'll do rank one Shadowword Pain four times, and then Mind Blast. Then you Mind Flay until Mind Blast comes off cooldown, and it's just back to Mind Flay. So you're really not going to be using Shadow Word Pain. It gets bumped off. There are more important debuffs to uh, to use, but yes, yeah, still demonic runes, dark runes major mana potions
3: well i'm glad you raised that because that's the one thing that i absolutely accept that shadow word pain is not probably going to make the cut for most guilds on that debuff list you know we're sitting there with only 16 slots available and people say there's far more important things to put on there but The thing that really confuses me, mate, is we often hear talk of, oh, Shadow Word Pain. It's one of the most powerful dots in the game. It's an amazing spell. And then, you know, a casual like me goes, why is one of the best dots in the game not one of the 16 debuffs that we pop on a boss? Can you explain a bit more about that one?
6: Yeah, there's just so many other ones, you know, whether it's Rolling Ignites or Annihilator, uh, Nightfall, or... Even if you have a Warlock, and that Warlock is your top damage Warlock, he puts Corruption up, he's going to get Nightfall procs off that, and he can get instant Shadow Bolts. So the benefits of the raid uh, is, is more important than your
3: Shadow Word Pain. Got it. But outside of raids, are you very much so of the mind that, yes, Shadow Word Pain is an absolute force to be reckoned with?
6: Oh, yeah. I love it. Once you get geared your first application uh, should be ticking for over 300. Once you sort of reach that tipping point, you're a god as a shadow priest. It's kind of like the golden rule. It takes about 550 spell power to reach that mark.
3: Okay. Now, mate, I'm, I'm glad you said that stuff about raiding. And, you know, because one of my big priorities was picking a class that basically, or a spec, that keeps me engaged in a nice fun rotation and at least mildly keeps my mind ticking over during a raid i don't want to go into autopilot mode i don't want to be bored as i'm raiding just going all right press number one then press number two move over here press number one then press number two now i know that there's not much more to the shadow priest uh, rotation but you know, at least there's, it sounds like there's a little bit of fun. And as you say, you have to be pretty switched on while it's all happening and, you know, maybe weaving in those pots and everything when you're about to go out of mana. But do you find that rotation is still fun for you after all this time?
6: You know, I do. And what else makes it cool about playing the priest is, you know, there are certain boss mechanics, whether it's Broodlord or Fire Maw or Nefarian or something, where you could be the priest who puts shield on the tank at the right time? You know, you could, you could prioritize dispelling still as a shadow priest to sort of free up your other healers from doing what they need to do, which is cast heals. So there's a lot of a lot of flexibility with the shadow priest and a lot of room, you know, to to really be important to your guild. Again, you have 100% raid attendance, so if you can also lock in some of those mechanics for your raid then you'll be extremely valuable. And, you know, if some healers do die, you just pop out a shadow form and you can save the day.
3: Now, mate, I I really must say I'm so glad I got you for this because you're answering all the questions that I've been dying to ask or too afraid to ask people. I know everyone's very helpful, but I just haven't got around to asking, but it's great to be able to do this on a call. Now, I I do apologize if any of these questions are silly, but I'll hit you now with you've just talked about the fact that, yes, you you can also use that utility role as a shadow priest don't feel bound to damage spells you've got the 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 dispels and whatnot in raids as well and and shields and everything and that's great my question is let's say okay i'm a young shadow priest i've gone through a a dungeon an mc or two for the first time i've had a great time i go yep that's cool and everything but i sort of also say you know guys, I do want to try out raid healing. I've never done it before. Now, let's hypothetically say I'm also a very broke Shadow Priest. I've heard that it is not optimal but viable to heal MC and potentially BWL as a Shadow Priest. Do you buy into that or not so much?
6: Thank you, you know, I do like I do like these questions. This is fun. <laughs> um, but you know, as far as, as healing as shadow spec in raids, if it's on farm, then yeah, you can do it. You probably wouldn't want to go into progression as shadow and try to heal. Because keep in mind, you're also la- dead last priority on healing gear since it's now you're off spec. So your your healing gear that you're coming into these raids with is probably not going to be much better than pre bis
3: okay so i guess what i'm getting at that's good to hear i guess what i'm getting at is are a lot of guilds gonna laugh you out the door going like fuck off no you can't heal as shadow spec we need you in holy or do you think a lot of guilds will be open to like all right we've got a bunch of healers if you want to try it out once as shadow go for it
6: i think that would that would vary um guild to guild person to person and in, in what your established relationship is with your guild and how hardcore your guild is I, I, yeah i, I don't that's too tough
3: to say. Yeah, no,
6: broadly.
3: fair enough, fair enough. It is definitely asking for a bit of a forecast on people's attitudes. Now, the next one, mate, is, is related to gear. And again, sticking to the rating angle for now, we'll get to PvP soon. But another great question I've been trying to figure out is, okay, people have told me, you know, you're going to be a little bit lower on the priority list for gear. Okay. It's great. You're, you're a devoted raider. You're a shadow priest. You're there every week. You're paying great attention. You're, you're pumping out as much DPS as you can, even though, you know, your DPS is a little bit lower than everyone else's, but you're doing your job. You're a good guild. Uh, you're a good guild member. Fantastic. Now it gets to uh, gear distribution and we've got other classes, um, that might have you know, let's say it's obviously not necessarily um, a tiered gear. Outside of that, things are dropping that Warlocks are piping up, going like, hey, guess who else uses Shadow Damage and, you know, who can benefit from these kind of stats? Me, I'll take that, thank you. And obviously Warlocks might be a little bit more um, preferred to dish out gear that Shadow priests could use as well. So is it really hard to gear up a Shadow Priest to the point that it gets frustrating because you're not getting anything, or is it not that bad?
6: This is a great question, man, and it's gonna be challenging for me to answer quickly because um, with classic WoW, it's very political, hmm. and a lot of people don't realize, depending on which spec or their skill or their role, how much power they actually have. A shadow priest actually has tremendous power in the in the guild because. Again, you're there a hundred percent of the time, hundred percent attendance. You have your consumables. People are a little, a little pissed that you're there and that you're shadow, you're special. Uh, if you get gear, you know you really have to um, be picky and choosy about what you're trying to get. You know, there there really is shadow gear. It's for you. You know, Choker the Fire Lord is bis game. It's not bis game for everybody else. But keep in mind, you still might not get it first. So there, there's that's just one example of really knowing your your place in the pecking order, and then going back to power. So if they're not treating you right, like something is objectively shadow gear, you know, and they're like, "Yeah, we're not going to give it to you because your individual damage stinks." Well, what happens when you don't show up to raid? What happens if you g quit? You know, now all the priests are going to be fighting for that shadow spot and a good guild leader is going to know this and you, the shadow priest, are going to know this. That's bad. And if you G quit or you stop showing up, your guild's not so much angry at you, they're angry at the guild leader for how they, they handled it because now all the all the caster DPS classes are angry because you got gear over them, theoretically, And now you're not here. You know, your behavior or your attitude or whatever was essentially mismanaged. So you have a lot of power, but still with that, you have to know what is for you and when it is acceptable for you to get those pieces.
3: All right. Now, mate, I should add, please don't feel pressured to answer in a timely fashion. If you want to go long-winded, believe me, you're on the right podcast for that. So don't worry about that. But um, that is interesting to hear. Now, my next one is going to be gear-related again because here's the other, you know, issue that I've been wrestling with. The tiered gear for priests, now, correct me if I'm wrong, really does seem much more, obviously, uh, designed for healing priests, so you've decided to go ahead as a you know shadow priest. Now you're looking forward to all this tier one, two, uh, t- tier one, tier two, tier three. How awesome is this going to be? Oh, there's a lot of stuff on there that isn't really applicable to me. Is that the case? And is it a bit of a bummer? Is it, does it only add to the problems you've got in gearing up your shadow priest?
6: Yeah. So so only tier one has a couple pieces with damage on them. Uh, maybe like two, maybe three. I don't know. I, I never wear any of that stuff. And then Tier 2 has zero damage. Tier three zero damage. There's Tier 2.5, which is from AQ. It has some, but it's not the best. Um, you know, but again, there, there are some very clear items that are that are for you. There's Robes of the Battle Guard and AQ. You're the only one who's going to go for those. Uh, if you're killing world bosses, which would be great, there's Jaden laid vestments. It's another chest. You could get that. There's spell infused leggings, which warlocks are going to screech and grow a neckbeard over if you try to get. That's um, definitely for very high end players, and not not for everybody to get. Try to get those, uh, but yeah, yeah. So don't try to get things like braces of arcane accuracy. Uh, take your time in getting ebony flame gloves. But then there's spire moss clutch. I mean, that's for us. So yes, it, it is a little bit challenging to get gear but most of the gear that is for us is only for us
3: very good now mate piggybacking off of that is you know this pvp set that everyone says is so fantastic for shadow priest and looks fantastic as well is that something the rating shadow priest should look to as well or not as much
6: well again with the time commitment that that is in ranking It's not for everybody. Even rank 10, um, I actually have some PVP videos that explain how long it takes realistically. You know, it could take 10 weeks, you know, at 20 20 hours per week of being successful in in BGs and world PVP. So it's not for everybody. But the rank 10 set is extremely strong. Definitely consider going for rank 10. And then uh, someone in a comment in one of my videos broke down the difference between the rank 13 PvP set and the rank 10 PvP set the difference is about 500 hp about 600 mana and about 55 spell power so the rank 13 set is objectively better but is the juice worth the squeeze no no rank 10 is great and uh yeah if you're going to be playing a shadow priest definitely consider rank 10 if you can't do rank ten, do rank seven. You can get the gloves and the boots combo, and that has the set bonus of twenty-three spell power. And then for uh, for rating, if you do get rank ten, you just wear the headpiece and the shoulders for the two set combo. And yeah, it's fantastic. Definitely,
3: I love it, and I can't help but think of the girl next door when you ask, "Is the juice is the juice worth the squeeze?" For sure, but mate, um. It, let's move into that pvp uh talk now as we bring up the gear now we've talked about the low skill floor, but one thing that kind of gave me the shits in the alterac valley test weekend on the beta which i hadn't had any experience with i'd sort of heard about it but i paid no mind to it until you actually experienced it was the mana issues with the shadow priest in terms of you know i'd die i'd res I'd buff up, I'd have to drink straight away because I just lost half my mana to buffing up. Then I'd run out, I'd fight one person and have to drink. I'd fight one person and have to drink. These are obviously the trials and tribulations of being the Shadow Priest in a battleground. Is there any way to manage my mana better that I won't be doing that all the time?
6: That's a good question. Uh, Yeah, so I don't don't buff. (laughs) Whether it's raids or PvP, man, I don't do it. Let someone else do it. I'll buy candles. I'll give that guy my candles. He can buff. But in PvP, you know, it, unless it's a pre-made, I'm not buffing. If we're just pugging, uh, I'm not doing it. It's too much mana. It's too little health. I have Empiric Embrace anyway. So, you know, no, I don't I don't need to do that. And then once you get geared, you said that you kill one person with a whole mana bar. Once you get geared, you can kill two, three people easily. And, you know, you'll, you'll have combat mana potions. And that's the other thing. Just get used to chugging mana potions, whether it's PvE or PvP.
3: All right. Now, what about that kind of... I know it's very situational, and this is a difficult one to ask, also given that we go up against so many classes, but... What are your priorities in terms of that rotation in general when you're fighting people in PvP in a battlegrounds? Do you have a spell that you find... I mean, obviously, Mind Blast is the bee's knees, but do you have something else that you lean on quite heavily? Do you... You know, I'm sitting here wondering, again, like in the raids, are you spamming rank one shadow pain for those first few um, seconds of the fight trying to get that shadow weaving up? Or what do you generally try and open with?
6: It really depends on the situation. Uh, So if I'm being focused... You know, then I'm going to use max rank Shadow Word Pain off the bat. If uh, if the opponent isn't necessarily worried about me at that moment, then I'll throw a few rank 1s on them. rank 1 Shadow Word Pain, to try to get a blackout proc, and then I'll go into a Mind Blast. But uh, another really important thing is to not clip your shield. So I've seen it happen quite a bit, actually, where, where new priests will clip their shield. So you still have your shield. The debuff wears off. So you could technically reapply your shield, but the existing one is still there. So you want that one to break before you add another one. I know it's just a, a, a little thing, but the game will let you reapply a shield if you already have one on, assuming the debuff is gone.
3: In general, which classes give you the most concern in a battleground? Is there a certain class that's, I mean, you know, we might knee-jerk reactions, say, Hunter, Viper Sting, oh my God, here they come, you know, game over, man. But is outside of that maybe, is it really the hunters who are the ones that you might shit your pants over, or is there another class that really makes you go, oh no, here we go?
6: What's great about Shadow Priest is it? it's not going to be a class that gets you. It's going to be... An extremely skilled player with this gear and all the consumables and the know-how to kill you. So you might run into, you know, a nax geared Hemo Rogue, and he's going to have Rinataki. He's going to have Thistle T, and he'll blind reset, and you're not a dwarf, so you got to sit that blind. So you might run into that guy. Not cool. You might run into a hunter, and he's going to out-of-range your, your wand shot to hit him with a daze, or he'll take off cheetah real quick while your wand shot is in the air. That's a bummer. Uh, there's going to be people popping restoration potions to clear your shadow or pain and to clear your devouring plague if, because, I mean, of course you're rolling undead. So, yeah, and there might be a, a warrior who you're not looking you don't have shield on for whatever reason. He gets the charge off and pops recklessness instantly. So, yeah, few and far between a random warrior can kill you, a random rogue, a random hunter, and any any soul link warlock can kill you pretty much. But uh, the great thing about Classic is you, you just don't run into soul link warlocks. It's a very underrepresented unrepresented class. And they're typically busy farming consumables for for raids and such. And they don't like to respec that much. So you don't run into soul link warlocks.
3: Very good. Now, mate, in terms of farming, you know, I asked this question of the guys as well earlier in the day and, and said, look, Just hypothetically, if I do for some reason fall in love with healing and decide that I'm going to be a healer in raids, but I still have so much love and affection for this shadow spec, I want to spend a lot of time with it too. And I get caught up in the cycle of spending 100 gold a week respeccing, going back and forth, and I'm through the week farming as a shadow priest. Is it great or is it again a little bit of an annoyance because of the mana issues?
6: It's so good. It's so good. So you're going to pair up with a warrior. Between you and your warrior partner, you're going to have mining and enchanting, just, you know, disenchanting. And you'll run DM East jump runs, just you and this warrior. You'll kill the bosses. And then at the end, there are anywhere from like, I think two to four, uh, rich thorium veins. So you're just going to spam that. So as soon as you run out of DM East, you know, you mine the nodes, you run out, you run back in the entrance. So, DM East Farm is not going to be uh, ruined, let's say, by the, the logout reset instance script thing that's not working in Classic but was working in private servers.
3: Very good. All right, mate. Well, knowing that now, I mean, you've put my heart at ease a lot, I must say, about some of the light concerns that I had about the shadow spec. Uh, I guess the last thing I would ask you is looking at that talent tree out of interest i don't know if you've ever really thought about this very much but are there any talents that you'd change anything you'd you'd reconfigure is there something the talent that the shadow talent tree was missing something it had that probably it shouldn't have had if you like made you wear the the hat of game designer now and ask you to you know play the role of kevin jordan who we've had on the show before who designed the classes what would you tinker with if anything with the shadow tree
6: Oh, that's a good question. Man, I love it. I really do. Uh, I don't think I would change anything. Just let me get some more talent points.
3: <laughs> yes, we could all use some more talent points. I mean, I, it's, it's a fair question. If let's say you had five more talent points up your sleeve, are you still shoving them in shadow or would you chuck them somewhere else?
6: Oh, man, I'd want to show you my spec. But um, I'd probably keep what I have in shadow. And I'd go for improved mana burn. Mm,
3: Fair enough.
6: Yeah, I would like to be able to have that full time.
3: Fair enough. Well, look, mate, you've done a great job selling people on Shadow Priest today. It's very clear the passion that you have for this particular spec. So all I can say is thank you so much. You've really made me feel a lot better about this decision. And I was feeling great anyway, but you've made me feel even better. So, mate, I, I can't thank you enough. Thanks for doing this. And we'll have to talk to you later down the track.
6: Thanks for having me, man. I have some other uh, gold farming. Oh, tips yeah. Sorry, and no, no, stuff. no. Go
3: for it. I, was, I should say, if there's anything we haven't talked about that you had notes on, mate, go for it now.
6: Yeah. So, this is kind of top tier, you know, how, how classic this political, uh, you know, you, so you made friends with your DM East uh, running partner. Okay. And let's assume that they're a tank and that they're a competent player. You can run a Nixie on the side with this person as pugs, uh, gold DKP pugs, and you split the gold with this tank. That's a fantastic way to do it. Or you can help this tank get the bindings out of Molten Core for their Thunder Fury. So you and this tank can run MC as a pug and reserve all kinds of stuff and take really whatever cut you want from the from the gold. I mean, MC is a gold mine. So that, that's one way to do it you could uh you could also stay shadow I have a video where you can farm meridon as shadow and you sell the blackstone ring to fresh 60s that's a fantastic way to gold way to make gold but yeah you know uh, thanks for having me on i, I really like this I, I could talk about this all day really
3: all right Uz, please do let people know uh where they can find you online and what your plans might be for classic whether you're streaming or just adding to your youtube channel go for it mate
6: Oh uh, yeah, so my name is Ooze and you can find me on YouTube. It's Ooze S Priest. And then my Twitch handle is the same thing, Ooze S Priest. So you can find me there. I will be streaming classic WoW. Very excited about it. And for all you priests out there, you have to make sure every week you set aside some time to run around looking for main tanks and dispel their world buffs a great place to go is <laughs> fellwood
3: <laughs> very good all right mate we'll, we'll have to get you back in the future for more of it so uh you know i'm always excited to talk about the the specs and classes that i'm going to be playing so mate don't worry about that we'll get you back
6: cool man well thank you
3: hi everyone josh here I just want to take a quick moment to remind you that while Countdown to Classic will always be a podcast you can get for free, if you do happen to really enjoy the show and find yourself always coming back for more, then please do check out the show's Patreon page to see how you can help keep the lights on at Countdown to Classic and even vote on show content as the show continues to bring you more and more Classic WoW goodness. Alternatively, if monthly subscriptions aren't your thing, you can always visit the show's tip jar over at Ko-Fi with that link being in the show notes and on the website too. Now, let's get back to the show. All right, it's time for another countdown to Classic Call. And we've got a call here that I've been dying to do for some time now. Because, guys, it's been quite a while. You remember about a year ago on the show, I got Keftank in here. And we talked at length about breaking down the stigma behind meme specs in the game. And we covered a bunch of the meme specs in that call. But there's one class in particular that I feel does get a bit more flack than others in World of Warcraft Classic. And that is the Paladin class. And they've got two specs there that really do seem to be the butt of a few jokes. And that's obviously retribution and protection that I'm talking about. Now, there are players out there, however, that continually fight against these stereotypes and try to do work to prove that playing those specs is no laughing matter and that absolutely if you are going hard... You can have the respect of your guild and you can produce the kind of output that would make you happy as a raider and as a player in general. So what we're going to do through this call is give a bit of hope to those people who are rolling paladins and maybe don't have that much experience with ret or Prot and want to dabble and see if they can do it. So we've got two experienced paladins here. As always, I'm so happy to get him back when we talk about paladins. Sonasuke, how are you, man?
7: I'm doing well. I'm happy to talk about Paladins anytime. you (laughs) need.
3: I love how passionate you are about this class, and at the drop of a hat, you are always up for talking Paladins, mate, so it's good to have you here. And we've got a countdown to classic first-timer. You you know that I love getting the first-timers here. He was up for it as soon as I suggested it. Lester, how are you, man?
8: Hey, I'm doing good, thanks. Thanks for... Thanks
3: for inviting me. No, My absolute pleasure, mate. You were being so um, engaging in the Twitch chat. And uh, what I liked about you is that you were... Giving some food for thought on some of the points that were being raised on a previous Paladin call. And, you know, without being disrespectful, uh, you know, you, you, you know, the Paladins are sort of one of those classes that there is a bit of argy bargy between Paladins and time at times in terms of the theory crafting and everything. And people might disagree and whatnot. But I think at the end of the day, everyone's trying to build together a meta that obviously helps the class in general. And so everyone is, is trying to do their thing to make people understand that Paladins are a force to be reckoned with. So, I think it's going to be good to break down these stigmas now, and and let's get right into it, guys. I want to start, and this is a raiding call. We're talking about what you do as a raider, as a paladin, in these specs to get the most out of your class. So let's start with the uh, protection tree, because that's the one that you were talking about a lot. Um, and... It's something where, I must admit, I don't know a lot about Protection Paladin, so you guys will kind of take the ball and run with it here. But Lester, you were very, very passionate about your defense of Protection Paladin, saying there are instances where you've absolutely done things which typically people think they can't do. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that first?
8: Just like about the some of the things that I have done as a protection paladin?
3: Well yeah, you're talking about some specific instances in, you know, Molten Core in BWL where that AoE okay. ability yeah, yeah. absolutely can so, help you doing stuff. Yeah, go-
8: So there's a there's kind of a I don't want to say short, but there is a list of fights and pulls and even certain boss fights where I would argue that paladins do bring some kind of either utility edge or threat edge. Um, as I said earlier Most of the AoE packs in the game, just to list a few, the imps in Molten Core, the dogs in Molten Core, the entirety of the Suppression Room whelps. Um, There's about three or four places in AQ40, including the boss fight Fancris itself. And um, again, there's about maybe three to five places in Naxx, you could argue. Um, And we have proven that Paladins do higher TPS. And as long as you can survive, uh, you'll, you'll hold bombs quite a bit better than warriors. There is the argument that warriors have more survivability, which is true. But as long as you can stay alive, uh, you can produce quite a bit more threat. Um, and then there were a few boss fights specifically with, that we've talked about where paladins can be very, very good. Um, one of them that not many people think about is Golemag. So for Golemag, as he stacks the fire debuff on the tank, uh, the Paladin bubble will get rid of this and uh, reset your stacks back down to 0. So as long as you can hold normal threat, uh, there shouldn't be any need for a tank swap. Because usually in slower kills, say, the tank gets up to like the 30 stack range, you want to try to do a tank swap. Um, But with a Paladin, all you have to do is a bubble cancel macro and it'll instantly drop your stacks and regain threat. And the other boss that immediately comes to mind that's probably one of the only bosses in the game where I would say I would rather have a Paladin than a Warrior is a boss of Naxxramus, is Noth, the Plaguebringer. Uh, He does a teleport, and of course, Warriors don't really have any kind of instant uh, ranged threat ability because it is a full raid wipe, and they also get slowed so, unless you have somebody spam cleansing the tank, which is very common, but uh, if you don't have that instant cleanse and you get unlucky with the teleport, the boss can be quite far away from you. So, right after a teleport, usually you'll have a paladin exorcism, and uh, the boss most of the time will snap right to you because it is a, it's about, I don't know how much, six, seven hundred instant holy damage from from range so i'd say those are those are a few good spots where i would argue paladins have a lot much higher usability and i don't know some people uh some people have told me that you can't tank like if you try to tank noth you'll just get two shot or if you try to tank any boss in the game you'll just die but i do respectfully disagree and i say it's completely possible because i've i've seen it multiple times and as much as you can say oh it's on private servers i'm quite confident that it'll also work on live
3: mate that that's a really good point that you raised to, to bring up those examples of times where paladins might i, I sorry as soon as soon as soon as did you want to jump in there um
7: uh, not positively.
3: So you oh, know. that's right. We'll get to you in a second, mate. That's right, and and that's why I had you on this call because I think there is going to be a bit of um, healthy disagreement here and and a bit of a back and forth, which I myself am dying to hear between the two of you. Um, now, one thing I was going to say there is that in hearing you speak about that, Lester, you know, it's great to hear examples where people could use a paladin where they may not have thought they could. But is it fair to say that you might still accept that the paladin is not the uh tank that can do everything in the game. That's not your argument. We're not the be all end all. But there are still certain fights we're probably not great for, but there are a lot more that we're good for than people think. Is that a fair summary?
8: Yes, absolutely. And this is something that I say quite a lot. I completely understand that in mitigation threat cooldowns all that kind of stuff no taunt it's it is hard it is less good than other tanking classes this is not something i can deny but i think people take it to the extreme sometimes and saying that you can't even tank in raids which i I don't believe is true i think paladins make for quite a good off tank and you kind of sub them into those few bosses where they make make do and With 100% Holy Shield uptime and readout, uh, they can be pretty survivable off tanks in certain positions as well. So I think having one as a third or fourth string tank, if you bring that many tanks to the raid, and subbing them in when they do have, uh, have their moments, I think that is the best place for a prop paladin. I don't advocate for prop paladin main tanks.
3: Okay, Sonasuke, in hearing that, I'll turn to you now and say that on our last call a little while ago on the show, you were quite passionate about telling people, you know, if they were new to the game, uh, you know, or new to vanilla or classic, um, to be very wary of Prot Paladin gameplay. Um, and you sounded like, you know, you've tried it before, you, you're not happy with it, you are a bit pessimistic about what that that spec can do. So is there anything that you've just heard there from Lester that does sort of give you a pause or or something that you'd like to to query him about or go back and forth on
7: nothing that gives me a pause i'm i still think the way i think the question i would have for lester is did you have thunder fury because i read with Justine a lot and he did have thunder fury and that's seemed to be like a an absolute necessity to have uh, sorry an absolute necessity to have any hope of being able to tank and Nax. uh was that
8: something you had you're a clever man because i did actually manage to get thunder Fury through um pugs on between Shire and Light hope servers but i have done i had done tanking pre again as an off tank in certain positions and in like full almost full biffs i would often swap off my thunder fury uh in 20 minutes just to see and uh Yes, you do lose a good chunk of threat. That's that's very true. But again, I would still argue that it's very doable.
3: Okay, I'll jump in at this point because obviously that's a bit of a game changer. But as you say, it's still doable without Thunder Fury. But I guess I my my query is how big of a difference is is it? Because Thunder Fury, even in it's, in to to a noob like me, it's a game changer.
8: It's yes, it is. I would say about. A twenty percent, if not twenty-five, thirty percent threat increase for paladins on private servers at least with double procs.
3: So Sonasuke, in hearing that Thunder Wheel uh, Thunder Fury was being wielded, <laughs> does that now make a lot more sense to you? And you'd be like, oh yeah, well if a Prot Paladin's got Thunder Fury, I mean there's a lot more that changes.
7: It gives you more viability to be able to tank, but then you have to say what guild's going to be giving a Thunder Fury to a paladin over a warrior or even a rogue, and so that's the issue that
8: there's still that it still is exists something uh something people think about less, but uh, Thunder Fury also gives arguably the best mitigation debuff in the entire game with its attack speed slow, which is something paladins do need sometimes if their gear is under if they are undergeared for the raid progression. So that's another thing to think about. If you don't have a Thunder Fury in your guild, um, bosses do hit. I mean,
3: now a in, quarter percent. in saying that, um, Lester, <laughs> Lester, is it fair to say that yes, you know, every prop Paladin will be having dreams of Thunder Fury? But do you have? I'm also not sure if you've organized this in va- in advance with your guild. But do you have? Um, you know something set up where you think you'll actually get thunder fury is it all organized or are you realizing that yes Um, you might have to wait a while
8: um in my guild we'd have the first two guild thunder Furies planned out to the main tank and the secondary tank um how i got my thunder fury on light's hope is completely through pugging i pugged molten core for about a year and a half and just out of coincidence, one week, my tank, uh, my main tank of the guild at the time, missed. And I picked up the binding since I was running the pug. And then just through progression, I got the second one. But I do plan on doing pugs again and attempting to get Thunder Fury uh, for myself on Classic. But I'll do that on my own time outside of the guild.
3: Yep, fair enough. Well, look, guys, let's get into, um, you know, some of the still focusing on Prot um is there anything that people are going to have to do and, and obviously the answer is yes but how far will people have to go in terms of consumables um and you know um any little extra mechanics that you might advise so gameplay and consumables what can people do to get the most out of their prop paladin? and sonosuke um is there anything that you i'm sorry you might not have as much experience with prop paladin. i'm not too sure but anything you can think of
7: uh yeah mandatory flasking and the downside is sometimes if depending on how your guild healers are you may have to titan's flask which i'm not sure how much that impacts the tps for the paladin lester can tell you that but you have to have a flask on it's no you just have to so that's a very key thing
3: okay lester how about you anything you'd, you'd probably advocate for the flask obviously but anything on top of that
8: um i think uh Something I actually I, I kind of differ on um, for most people is during normal progression, I don't think you need Stam consumables unless you're a tank. So like those um, Elixir Fortitudes or Stamina Food Buffs. Um, I think getting that along with just a few extra Stam Buffs like the Imp, it can push your health upwards up like a 1,000 in bonus health. So I think that stuff is also really important. Uh, all that stuff, all that little stuff stacked up, it's almost like another flask on.
3: All right, fair enough. Now, guys, let's move over now to retribution. And this is, you know, it's pretty fair to say. Um, probably considered and i i don't mean to be mean when i say this i say this tongue in cheek but it is considered you know the ugly stepchild of vanilla specs i think that's fair to say it gets the most shit um easily so talk to us now about what and sonosuke i'll start with you talk to us about what ret paladin's Can start to do in a raid to just break down people's preconceptions of what the class can do. Now, I understand that, you know, if you just rock up to a raid with no consumables and you do your rotation as, as well as you possibly can, you are going to be bitterly disappointed. Where can they start to try to change people's minds?
7: As a rep paladin, I would say be open to not always DPSing. There's going to be some fights that you're really not good at DPSing, like Hygand and some other ones that you you don't you just can't DPS on. So you need to be open to healing as a DPS spec, but all and then also again swinging your Nightfall, helping out the, the team in that way. But I really wished because I was raiding with S-Fan a lot, and we were trying to get him the server for number the number one overall parse for Thaddeus, and he would have had it, uh, but we had a couple of issues, but. So on the private servers, at least, Red Paladin did have a glimmer of hope of doing something. But overall, again, that DPS is, is a huge negative. And to overcome that large gap of your DPS, you need to be able to have some, something else you add to the, to the raid, whether that's your Paladin buffing. You can uh, step out and heal. You're able to dispel you're keeping your eye with lay on hands, blessing and protection, things like that. You're, you're trying to be more utility than you are just pure DPS.
3: Okay, Lester, I'll throw it over to you because I, I think that's a fair point um, by uh, Sonosuke in terms of, you know, embrace the utility. You know, you you maybe if you can't push high DPS, you're, you're still that kind of bit of a jack of all trades and that you can still heal people. You can be the, the utility player as well. But if I was to say, let's say we've got the player who's like, Dude, I'm Rhett. I DPS. That's what I live to do. Is there anything people can do? Into is there any freaky way that you play the class? Any funny little weird things you do in your rotation? Any pots that you put on that the average player doesn't think of that can just jack you up that little bit?
8: I think at the at the end of the day, there is there is a lot of little niche consumables that you can really push to min max. See. Oil of Immolation, see like just general grenades and stuff. Um, But really, at the end of the day, it's, I think, more about uh, world buff preparation uh, because reds benefit from world buffs more than any other class because not only do we um, benefit from both the melee and spell crit, but uh, it, it directly relates to our Vengeance uptime. So I think if you're really looking to be the number one guy, you have to always show up with whatever buffs are available that phase. Always got to have a song flower. You know, always got to have your basic list of consumables. Uh, I think there should be less focus on the little minor ones if you don't have time to get the world buffs. I would recommend to people getting those first and spending majority of your time doing that instead of trying to get the little tiny boggling roots and oil of emulation and stuff like that.
3: Now I'm seeing in Twitch chat from Hammertown uh, who's saying, you know, obviously another thing that, that people talk about and, and, uh, Thaloris has talked about this on the show previous as well, previously as well. And it's something that I'm sort of yet to fully wrap my head around, you know, the concept of the Spelladin as well. And, um, you know, they're, they're saying that, that, that one of the paladins that Thaloris has talked about on the show before, Murtog, he says Murtog had nine, uh, 940 DPS on Hygen, And, and Thaloris has mentioned that on a call, uh, before in the show. Um, you know, so there are, You know, talk to me about that spellit and spec and, and, and either one of you jump in on this one, is that something that, you know, you might have to embrace if you do want to jump up perhaps to that rarefied air for a red paladin?
7: I guess I can start. I would say, again, I caution people, like the numbers that you're seeing from these people who are theorycrafting are all private server numbers. And I don't know what their raid comp looks like. I don't know what private server they're playing on. If it's a personal one, if it's light's hope, what it is. And also, a like, fight like Hegan or Hygen, however you want to say it, uh, you go home immediately, basically, as a Red Paladin. Uh, and then also for the fact that a lot of those things that stack on private might not stack in Classic, and actually, in a lot of cases, probably won't. So I caution people a lot that a lot of those high numbers you're seeing probably are not going to happen in Classic. If they do, that's awesome, but it's still not going to really validate bringing a lot
8: of Red Paladins, even if they are high.
3: Lester, anything on that?
8: Um, Well, specifically on Mortog's case, I would say um, he was in... I will preface because, you know, we kind of throw out his numbers, which are incredibly impressive in a live server. But one, most of his guild is full BIS or close to full BIS in Naxx, so his kill times are about as good as they get. Uh, Two, he was having people PI him, innervate him, of course, full world buff, including Warchief's Blessing, and mm. quite literally a full bag worth of consumables. Uh, and I'm not saying, you know, that to discount him. Uh, I, I commend his preparation, and he played very well. And actually, if you look, his the best fight that I think he's done is Noth, which he got up almost a 1,300 DPS. But uh, the point I'm trying to say is that, you know, it's better to look at a more average parse and do some testing for yourself. Um, Cause I, I did do as I got my Thunder Fury, which is also a very good Spelladin weapon, actually. Um, I did a few raids of Spelladin. you know, heavy spell power gear in every slot, full 2.5, shadow oil, and all that. Um, and I would say it's certainly better. Uh but it's hard to tell, like he says, because depending if Uh, shadow oil and chili proc off of judgment of righteousness or um wisdom procs off judgment of righteousness we could be losing i think the guy who owns the the theory crafting sheet in our discord he's saying we could lose anywhere from 15 to 20 percent of our dps um which still puts you far above where ap red is sitting but obviously no as sonosuke says it, it you should take all of these tests with a grain of salt yeah yeah
7: and there's lots of issues with uh, the glancing blows and things that are going to be issues for rep paladins that they they're, they're going to need a, it's very gear dependent they're going to need a lot of really really good gear and there's a lot of issues there's a lot of Barriers in the way for them to succeed that are going to bother a lot of people around you if you try to break through them. So if you try to get DFT, if the, I don't even know if that's probably not something for in, but that's something for Normal Ret, like that's probably a best piece. You're going to have issues with that. Trying to get up to your right amount of hit and getting weapon skill is going to be very tough for a Paladin. Hmm.
3: Now, guys, real quick, just want to talk about something that uh, Servargs has raised in Twitch chat, um, which is something, again, that has been said previously on the show. I believe Th- Th- Thaloris raised this point. I think... God, I'm reaching back in the memory banks where I believe he said, you know, funnily enough, one of the greatest weapons for Red Paladins was the manual crowd pummeler. So what do you guys have to say? And again, first in best dressed, what do you say about uh Servarg saying the manual crowd pummeler could bump you about a hundred DPS, three charges, one hammer per boss? What do you think on that?
8: Um I personally uh for some reason can't fit it into my rotation i've tried on test realms and it just doesn't work for me maybe it's just something personally i do with my inputs but obviously on paper and some other people have gotten it to work very well um i think it's i I do think it will be a thing in classic um unless they specifically change something to make them unique or put them uh all on some weird cooldown timer. Uh, I do think it'll be uh implemented in the game. And of course there will be people who will get them. Uh people who are like, oh no one's gonna spend six to eight hours a week farming pummelers like, Yes, I did. I had a Pharaoh in my guild. He enchanted every single one of his pummelers and <laughs> he had the top parses and knacks. Like people will go to that lengths when they wanna be the best. So if uh, if it is a thing, I, I would expect people to use them for Spelladin, Uh assuming you know Spelladin works. And actually, to address another one of his things is the armor debuffs that he's talking about. Debuffs obviously are very important um, for for any raid. Uh, armor debuffs being the most important, and we have seen on private servers that uh, armor debuffs can get bosses down to zero armor and from everything i've seen so far that'll be the same on classic
3: very good sonosuke anything on either of those two points from you
7: yeah i'd say like just it's there's going to be very very few people who farm enough crowd pommelers we don't exactly know 100 how it's going to affect dps again we don't know there's a lot there's so many unknowns about the paladin in terms of prot and in terms of ret that that's why it's a scary place to put someone, especially someone who's new, wanting to play those classes, because we don't know, and it could just be terrible, and then you're stuck just playing a healer, and you were like, I really wanted to DPS or tank, but all I can do is is heal with this raid, and you're stuck in that situation.
3: All right. Now, I'll basically finish on this one guys as we t- hit the home turn on this call lester if i kind of gave you the ball to run with and just said in, in your final conclusion here if you know i'm a starry eye a starry-eyed young paladin i've never raided before I, i'm i can't wait to play this class all i've ever wanted to be is a red paladin or a protection paladin um talk to me about why i should have hope about raiding in world of warcraft classic
8: um, I think it's a game that offers uh, a lot of depth, as we've seen through the years. Just um, it's been 15 years, and we're coming up with new ways to play the game. So, as much as you think everyone's got it down, somebody's always going to come up with something new. So, even if uh, even if it's looking like you know, Retz will only ever be here and. Um, You'll never be, you know, good DPS. You're always going to be with the tanks is what people will say. Uh, there's always a way to make yourself better. Um, you might not be the best always, but if you do put in the effort, then, uh, then vanilla is a, a deep enough game that anyone can, uh, anyone can find success. And success doesn't always have to mean top of the meters, number one in the world, DPS, but, uh, just, working uh working with yourself and finding good uh good good numbers that that satisfy you and and what your raid needs because not not every single raid needs the best dps in the world to clear
3: you know Mm. so nasuke just before i get to your point on that i just want to say we've talked about the manual crowd pamela we've talked about thunder fury we have talked about nightfall are there any kind of other weapons that people should look out for or niche items that really can work quite well for a ret uh, paladin uh, or a prop paladin, but more a ret paladin um, that they should be gunning for that maybe people don't necessarily associate with ret paladins or don't want to give to ret paladins, but they could really use to help them out.
7: I would say that the obvious ones are, are goblin sappers and, um, Stratham Holy Water are just two things that you absolutely have to have as either, and e- even as Holy Paladin, there's some guilds who will try to force you to to bring both. As far as like weird niche items, um, there is some talk about how some of the oils work, but we don't, we haven't tested 100. percent I know people were testing the chili on the beta, but I actually don't know how that turned out. Do you know how that turned out, Lester?
8: Um, I
7: believe
8: that. Ch- Hilly was scaling one to one and shadow oil was scaling as we predicted at point five six or point five two, something like that. But they were both scaling if I remember correctly.
7: Yeah, and then I think there was another thing that possibly chilies could stack, but that's actually not a thing in, in the beta,
8: so don't Oh yeah, that. there was there was speculation that like it increased your crit chance so you could uh you could eat like a whole stack of chilies and the buff would stack, but obviously that's not in the game.
3: What about this one? We've we've got obviously um Thelaurus in the chat who's mentioning these items. I'd love to hear because I've actually never heard of one of these. Um Nuretzec, which is known as Noretzek the, oh, yeah. the blood drinker. He's saying Naretzek or Corrupted Ashbringer, if the life drains uh, scale is at a hundred percent of spell damage come classic. Um, it sounded like you you knew what he was talking about there, Lester. Why don't you talk about that for a second?
8: Yeah, that those those were two really, really common weapons for uh, even regular AP Paladins. Um, it's an AQ-40 trash axe, and obviously the Corrupted Ashbringer, the sword from Naxxor Um Decent weapons in their own mark. Uh, maybe not so much in the Red Zarek, uh compared to some of the other weapons in AQ-40, but Ashbringer stood on its own as a very strong weapon and with the proc uh in full spell power gear flashed up consumed up you could hit upwards of 2k crit life steals at times so if you do get um as we've seen weapon procs from seal of righteousness and these weapons do scale uh there are a lot of not just these two but there are a lot of weapons that can uh their procs alone push them into the realm of usability. And also to lead back into a point you made earlier, kind of niche items that you don't think about for paladins. One that I'm keeping probably the closest eye on is Ironfoe. Oh
3: of course. Uh, uh
8: because if there is increased proc chance, uh and depending on the base proc chance itself, some people speculate it's two percent, some people are speculating up to ten percent. It could be crazy. Um it, it it could be quite strong because we have seen uh, vanilla footage of like a vanilla screenshot of a combat log of um, Iron Foe proccing Iron Foe extra swings proccing Iron Foe and also the Seal of Righteousness damage on every extra hit so it, it could lead down this slippery of slope of just lots of righteousness and white lines and more procs off the top of those. Depending on the proc rate, that's something I'm definitely going to look out for in Classic as an Iron Foe.
3: It's so funny because Servargs is, is piping up in chat now saying that the point that you, you just made there, Lester, is extremely important, but difficult to understand for those who haven't played Paladin. And I completely agree, Servargs, because my head is swimming. But it's funny because I often joke that I have to listen back to these calls twice sometimes to take in some of the, uh, the theorycrafting points. But the, I mean, I can imagine that that obviously there's some good info for Paladins. Um, Dolores again chiming in about... Uh, the. The life steal thing is really interesting, the life drain thing, because he's saying that, uh, you know, especially in a wreck bomb with Seal of Righteousness active, um, you've got 10 times the chance to proc the life drain. I'm not, I'm not sure if that coincides with what you guys believe there with those items. Um,
8: yeah, no, that's that, that would be correct. You have 10 chances because uh, every white line and every yellow line of Seal of Righteousness can proc stuff. Mm, so we've mm. seen wreck bombs on private servers of eight, 10, 12K damage with lucky procs.
0: Mm.
3: Very good. Well, look, Sonosuke, let's finish up with you, mate, and just sort of say as a general sweeping conclusion again, um, to give people a bit of hope. Again, you're speaking to that young paladin with the starry eyes. What would you say? Go forth and raid and be happy, and there are things that you can do that get you outside of that box?
7: Yeah, I'd say that if you're choosing the path of ret. I think you're going to have a better chance than choosing the path of prot. I don't think that, I think that either path you choose between those is a difficult path to walk. It's going to be hard to find your place in a guild for the most part, even more casual guilds will take only maybe one ret, maybe two ret paladins. So you need to keep that in mind. The servers are going to be pretty large. It's looking like, so there's going to be a lot of other ret paladins that are going to be trying to fight for those spots. And, but I would say that if you're a kind person, if you're treating people with respect, if you're showing up, if you're doing what Lester is saying, you're going, and getting those world buffs, a good leadership team will see that. And if they're not going, if they're not a hardcore guild, they're not going for server first or anything like that, they'll be like, hey, this guy really puts his all into it. Uh, we want him in our team because of the person they are, not necessarily the DPS they bring.
3: Great point to finish on there, mate. So, you heard it everyone, be kind. Put you, you you get out what you put in. So, you know, f- please don't feel like you can't roll a paladin and you're blocked out from raiding. And I know I can see the YouTube comments already for this video and people like lol ret and oh my god, here's people actually advocating for ret, you fucking idiots, blah blah blah. But it's not like that guys. Everything is playable. Some perform differently. But, you know, if it feels good, do it. That's always sort of the moral of the show. Um, and just be aware of this is what all these calls are about. Just be aware of what you um, might have to deal with and try and work out what you can to to somehow slightly get around it. But look, Sonasuke, as always, made a pleasure to have you back. Thanks for doing this.
8: Yeah, thanks for having me. It was nice to meet you too, Lester. Yeah, very nice to meet you, Sonosuke.
3: And Lester, mate, thank you so much for coming on, mate. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, and we'll have to stay yeah, in touch. Yeah, of course.
8: If you ever got, uh, if you ever got another spot on open, I'll be glad to, glad to hop on again. It was a good time.
3: All right, it's time for another countdown to classic call and this is one I've been dying to do for quite some time now. You guys have heard these two uh people on the line individually. You've heard obviously the great John Stats, you've heard the great Kevin Jordan and they have absolutely been uh, an a huge boon to this show and the community in terms of the insight they've given us into the making of world of warcraft back in the day so i thought what better thing to do considering the guys said that absolutely they knew each other back in the day they were friendly back in the day why not get these two on the same call for once and take a little bit of a, a fun trip down memory lane now I will have some specific que- questions for these guys as well, but we're going to start out with just a little bit of a fun reuniting and, and just see where the, the, the stories go about what life was like around the office back in the day. So let me welcome these gentlemen, Kevin Jordan. Mate, welcome back to the show again, as always.
9: Hello, how are you? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm curious if friend is the right word, John. Um, are <laughs> we friends or are we the best of frenemies?
10: Uh well it depends on whether or not we were uh playing uh citadels. Uh we Kevin and I would play uh uh board
6: oh, games. Man. Uh,
10: yeah, uh we were also uh we were yeah, we were the best of frenemies when, when when we're uh playing games. It was a lot of fun.
3: So, I mean, let's uh, start. Yeah. let let's keep the ball rolling on that one, John. Why don't you talk to us about, about
9: story on my stream
3: <laughs> what, what what was the guy with citadels tell us about that one guys so good
10: uh yeah well citadels is a uh it's a typical it's actually a, a very elegant little game um it was good we used to have game night eric dodds uh inst- instituted a little uh just a free form game game night i think Kevin and i were playing games for a long time uh until before he even joined the team and so i kind of knew him when he came up to uh the team as a as a designer and citadels has this uh, interesting mechanic where you're it's kind of like you're shooting torpedoes in you're you're making stabs in the dark and you're trying to uh, uh target other people and just based on personality it's kind of a little bit social deduction uh Kevin would always try to um assassinate me and he would try to guess <laughs> at what personality I was taking each round and I would just like you know you know it was just it was a lot of fun yeah but that was the go-to game for quite a long time because we put we played a lot of citadels uh
3: very no good so Kevin were all bets off on all friendships around the blizzard offices once citadels was broken out
9: that's right um It's so funny, too, because John is John is the perfect personality for this type of thing, because he you know, like for a lot of people that sit around a table with people, they would think, oh, he's he's griefing you, you know, they get really upset and they would take it personally. But but John just appreciated it as this is a game within a game that we're playing, you know, sort of on the side. So uh, they made it just so much more fun.
3: Kevin, I'll keep the ball rolling with you and just say, obviously, you know, the listeners are quite aware now that you two have very different roles on World of Warcraft. Obviously, Kevin, you were engaged with the class design. John, you were doing the level design over there. And it all be the fact that you were working on different things. You guys were still in the same office, you know, maybe just right, you know, around the corner, a few yards away from each other or what have you. Now, how did you guys gel um as individuals when it came to world of warcraft when it came to the game that you were spending so much time making did you two get along in your philosophies in general or were you finding that you were actually quite um uh, opposites of each other and and having a bit of argy-bargy as we say in australia a bit of a uh, bickering back and forth about what should go in the game
9: uh yeah. So that, that's a great question actually and it's something i didn't really appreciate until uh, later on um, because, you know, John worked on BRD and, and the thing that he did um, with BRD that stands out to this day, like my viewers absolutely adore BRD every time I bring it up and John, is an absolute legend. He, he didn't just create a level that could be played in, you know, it's not just a zone for gameplay. It's a, it's a living part of the world that makes sense. This is a place where monsters live This is a place where they interact. You know, there's reasons and justification and thematics behind everything that went into BRD. And that was a similar philosophy and approach that I took. You know, like design or gameplay or whatever it is you're trying to do is so much better when you're tying in the thematics and the story and all the other elements are are sort of firing at a high level rather than focusing on the one thing. Like, well, let's just make sure it's the best gameplay experience. And you can leave the thematics out or whatever it was. John never felt like that was worth sacrificing, so it was something I definitely appreciated. And uh, but again, it's like at the time I didn't even realize the work he was doing in, in a lot of time, you know, a lot of cases. But um, looking back, I realized you know how masterful BRD
10: is and, and the other things he helped create.
3: Okay, John, well, does that all well, ring a bell? I
10: can. Well, I can. Actually, to, to, to speak more to your question, um, oh, yeah, but w- while I was working on it, you know, I would build BRD, and then like two years later, it would be spawned. So it was like super old news. By the time somebody actually saw my uh, level, it was such old news. But, uh, yeah, Kevin and my interaction was mostly – Kevin was like he was the focal (laughs) point of all the complaining because he, of course, created the classes. And every little class imbalance, they would always run to Kevin and I would run to him complaining about the druids because I was yeah you know, druids this druids that so uh yeah that was our uh, but I was very sympathetic to that I think one of Ke- uh, Kevin made the great joke like when they were doing the signing at Fry's when we just launched World of Warcraft. Mm. Uh, he was going to tell everybody that he was an artist and not the guy that did the classes, because that would be just the open invitation to, okay, rogues can't uh, battle shamans. These totems aren't fair to rogues, Da 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 da, And, you know, that was just... Kevin had an earful that of, you know, wherever he went. And I had also my little pet uh, design ideas, <laughs> like uh, Eric Dodds and uh, Kevin would tease me that I wanted ladders to be in the game. I wanted ladders so bad just because the great thing about ladders <laughs> is that they would save floor space. And I could do great vertical uh, spaces, uh, you know, because when you have yeah. uh, stairs, you can't really have narrow stairs. They have to have wide, you know, because of internet connections. And I could never actually come up with a good idea of how to use ladders so that it couldn't be, uh, you couldn't leash monsters. Like it looked weird. You know, it would require a new animation for climbing a ladder. Uh, you know, how do you get off and how do you get on a ladder? Like uh, all the shooters at the time and maybe even the shooters now, they were just kind of like, uh, it, they were okay. They barely got the concept of the ladder in, but it just never felt good to get on and get off. And we definitely didn't want people falling to their deaths. So uh, that was just, you know, make, you know, figuring out how to make them sticky right. enough so that was like the running joke for the four years of me complaining about ladders and them going john did you make a you know you know i bet you we're gonna do ladders <laughs> next week you know and of course i never got ladders <laughs> but, uh,
3: kevin does a lot of that uh, ring a bell and do you have any yeah, other fun stories about to add? Ladders,
9: killing machines like in so many games, you know, the ladder tech nowadays in games is a lot better. You stick to it, you animate on it, you know, like, but yeah, back then it was just like we died countless times in all kinds of different games trying to interact with ladders. You know, oh, I fell to my death, you know, it was like the number one killer, you know, Yeah, <laughs> always, that always quick save before a ladder.
10: And that and that would especially be deadly on a MMO where you have not precise locations for players. Like where you are on the screen isn't precisely right. where you are on the server. So they would have been way more deadly in World of Warcraft, uh, unless we had some crazy rail technology, which was yeah. all yeah, the second. Really so. Yeah, and there is no way that the producers wanna were gonna okay another. Uh, tech solution uh, to get a stupid feature in that barely added uh, uh, cool to the game. So it was uh, our self discipline. But I was new. To, I was new to game development. So I, I hounded Eric and Kevin with all kinds of crazy ideas. They were so bad too. Oh, they were so <laughs> bad. And but, they, but they would take their. They had. They took the time to. Ex- they took the time to explain why that wouldn't work. Hmm. And uh, that's. That's uh I appreciate that to this day.
3: Kevin, do you remember some of the worst ideas that were pitched to you by members of staff, whether it be John or other people, and some of the fun conversations that you'd have about the quizzical looks you might throw at them going, "You want what in the game?"
11: <laughs> um, I'm struggling to remember any good anecdotes.
9: Yeah, there were a lot of there were a lot of bad ideas. The thing about the ideas, you know, especially with John was they all came from a really fun place though. Like and so it was it was so great, like we had another guy, Roman Kenny, who a lot of people know, um, one of the artists, and just always thinking so creatively, same with John, you know like the, the ideas were always pushing the envelope. the brainstorm sessions were amazing, and we didn't always we weren't able to like polish the idea completely, but I love that about people on the team like that It was so great hmm.
3: now. Yeah. Kevin, I, I'd ask you as well, and John, I'll get you to piggyback off of Kevin's answer, because John, you've spoken on the show before about the late nights that went into the game. And, you know, I don't doubt that obviously a lot of blood, sweat, and tears went into it, but just, you know, you were, you guys were sort of, Um, working beyond business hours to get this thing done and and it's something that we talk about in the industry you know the crunch and whatnot the where it wasn't maybe i don't know if it was referred to as the crunch back then it was just something you did and now it's become such a big issue and kevin you've spoken rather candidly on this issue before on the show as well as you know it it did take a bit of a toll and and after so many years of something that you couldn't do anymore but do you remember back in the day kevin sort of was it fine working those extra hours because you all did get along so well were those late nights like uh
9: absolutely that i mean i i can't remember like a single relationship on the team that was extremely volatile you know like most of us got along pretty well you know fair to good and uh it did make it really fun you know like because at the same time we were also just working on the project of our lives and it was so exciting and um we played games when the off hours that we would talk about and you know, we had a lot of similar interests. And so, yeah, we got along really well. And it did, it did, it did soften the blow of having to work, you know, so many extra hours, John.
10: Yeah. The, I, I I could say I was, I was working with the artists a lot more and it was harder on the artists. Uh, When you're a designer Uh, When you implement something, it goes straight into the game and you can actually see whether or not it's going to work. You can kind of appreciate, ah, you know, you can stand back and look at something. Yeah, I've I've done this. There's there's almost immediate closure. And when you're on the art team, which is where uh, a lot of the negativity, a lot of the complaining uh, and there were Kevin was Kevin's right. There was there was no like uh, uh, contention uh, between any two members like. Uh, where they couldn't stand to be in the same room with one another, which is actually fairly common uh, <laughs> when you when you talk about the computer game industry. There's some personalities that clash, and we we really didn't do that. But there were so, there was just a there was sometimes resentment, and it was usually from the art team because they would work uh, hours and they would never see their stuff in game. They would never get to see uh, their tech. Like it would take a long time before their props. Get in the game like they would just build uh, props for uh, we call them doodads uh, for a zone and then that zone wouldn't be worked on for years. Okay, and so they would just get these floating um, checklists of objects to build and uh some of them were quite happy to to work uh you know late hours uh brandon idol uh definitely uh s- sticks out as one of the guys who you know uh, uh pushed the art team uh you know to to reach the marks that they got but uh yeah a, a, lot, of, a lot of them yeah they weren't even working 40 hours you know they were just burned out by the and i'm talking about the by the end of the project hmm. uh but So it's, it wasn't, and then again, it's not the game for everyone. Most of the artists didn't even play MMOs. Hmm. So if you prefer console games, if you prefer uh, another type of game, uh, yeah, you are working on an MMO, but if you're not playing that game, if that's not a game you have time for or enjoy, then, you know, it's your, your, your passion isn't there. So I was really uh, sympathetic with that, but uh, they were, they were very bitchy though. So it's uh. Some some people were bitchier than others, and I mean, I just I enjoyed being in the game industry mm. at all, so that mm. uh, I didn't mind the
3: long hours. John, when That's was fun. the last time you spoke with Kevin? Because I, I do wonder. Obviously, both of you have been such huge parts of this show. And, you know, it's funny to have you both involved in separate ways. And you've obviously both worked together back in the day. Were there ever, I mean, I'm not sure if there ever any messages between you. Have you been contacted by this weird Australian guy about some podcast? Or do you recall, when was the last time you guys hung out or spoke?
10: Boy, I think it was uh, the Reddit. Uh, We did a uh, question and answer. I don't know if that counts uh, as being on, like, seeing each other's answers. But uh, I think it was a... uh, uh travis uh, was a uh, morgan day's had a party and uh uh i i rarely go to parties and morgan was kind of like one he was a uh or it was Morgan or Travis, I can't remember. One of them got a new apartment and moving. And we showed up and we saw each other. And, you know, we hung out and chat. But, uh, honestly, when you see somebody at work for so much, mm. <laughs> you don't really, you know. At least I didn't. I didn't, uh, <laughs> you know, there's a couple. We did a bunch of uh, maybe saw each other at Eric Dodds' house. Mm. or uh, we uh, Socially, it was game night. That yeah, was. Yeah. Game- that was the big thing. Right. Game night was everything. So, mm-hmm. uh, and that was every Wednesday, and then it moved to every Tuesday, and then to every Thursday. But it was every week. We we'd played board games and just get away from the we we getting away from the office meant we went from the second floor down to the first floor conference room. That was that was getting away from the uh, the
3: office. <laughs> That's so, right. So-, so it was. Good fun. When was the last game night? I mean, obviously, you guys have both moved on from Blizzard in, in the years since. When was the last oh, time geez. you can remember doing that?
10: Oh, many years. I mean, probably 2000, I would guess, five or six. Oh, wow. I, I can't remember. Wow. I mean, we also we saw each other at uh, coffee. We also went to coffee uh, and lunchtime, of right. course. That right. was uh, the big thing. We always went to lunch together. Right.
3: Ke- Kevin I'll ask you mate. Now you know as I said you guys have moved on in the years since and John is is part of you know what was a, a very big team that the made world of Warcraft. What's that team like now in terms of keeping in contact is it like you know because i think of you know your school's graduation class like you had this emotional connection to a certain group of people and you guys are part of a larger team that made one of the greatest games of all time and i can hear you now obviously enjoying i can hear it in your voice you're enjoying catching up with john sort of hearing some of these things you're having a bit of a laugh do you guys share, and I appreciate that not the whole team might stay in touch, but mm-hmm. do you hear things through the, the, the uh, grapevine every now and again from faces from old and, and sort of get a bit of a kick out of it? Is there is there a secret handshake?
9: Uh, absolutely, yeah. Is there a secret? No, but we do. Like uh, Facebook was a big thing back when we were working together. So many of us ended up Facebook friends, and so – we still kind of get messages every once in a while as one of us will pop their head up and then everyone will pile on into the messages, you know. Okay, fair enough. There was just one recently about uh, somebody crashing the crashing the game. <laughs> and uh, oh, yeah. everyone sort of pitched in with the time they broke the build, basically. It was pretty funny.
3: John, what was your time you broke the game?
10: Yeah. Uh, oh, gee. You know what? People were... <sighs> I think... <laughs> yeah, it does. It does show up on. Kevin is totally right. It, it, it's weird, but like someone will just say something. I we were trying to remember when Joe Rumsey walked into was it my office? I can't remember the face. This happened like maybe two months ago. Uh, they were talking about uh, walking into someone's yeah. office and saying that he broke the game, and then we were all trying to re- like remember when it, everybody like kind of broke the game. I don't. Oh, let's see, boy. I don't think I ever did that but uh yeah it, it it's it's kind of funny like yeah, I would, can't
9: believe would, that cuz I actually asked the group to help yeah, me would, remember but I don't remember and nobody yeah, had you? anything so I, but it's impossible for me to believe that I never broke the build once <laughs>
10: Yeah, it was usually a programmer or a designer. Uh, their code or data. Like I was, I was, I was introducing geometry into the game. It's kind of hard to break the the, the game really with geometry, especially if you know what you're doing. So, uh, uh yeah. But like, as far as like communicating after the wow, it's kind of weird. Like, if you're still working for Blizzard, you still have to kind of like toe the line and make sure you don't want to say anything that is, you know, untoward and especially if you're talking to somebody who's very savvy, you know, when, like, you can just say something, uh, you know, about, like, what you're working on or something like that, and Kevin or I could hear that and just interpolate that and go, like, oh, you're working on the next, uh, this game, you know, and so it's kind of like there's almost a little bit of radio silence between the people who have worked at Blizzard uh, and the people who are continuing to work at blizzard Mm. so and and i think that's true with any uh secret development like if you work for nasa or something like that you know you just you just want to respect the team and respect the project that you're working on and kind of like uh because uh, if, especially if you have a mix, if you have a party and half the people are at Blizzard and half the people aren't at Blizzard but are game developers, uh, that means there's a huge danger that someone's going to say something because gossip just goes, you know, like wildfire. So it's uh, sometimes you can mix and it, it, it's, it's a very dicey uh, situation. So you have to make your party invitations very carefully.
3: Now, Kevin, I'll throw it over to you because I'm... Wondering about some of the other names um, that we hear that were involved with the project, obviously, and and I mean some of the sort of notable names that the, the average gamer might sort of recognize immediately when we hear about people like, you know, um, uh, your Alan Adhams and, and whatnot, and your, your Mike Moorheim's and, and things like that. Were there certain people who would wor- work, obviously, or walk onto the floor, you know, walk into the office, and the vibe of the office changed. Was it kind of like shit? Look busy, uh, rogues, and talent points, and combat, and or was it everyone kind of got along and it was all good? <laughs> uh,
9: yeah, we didn't have too many like intimidating presences. Um, but when Alan Adham walked in the room, everybody waited to see what was gonna, well, what he was gonna say, basically. Because he he had this unique talent of like being able to Jedi mind trick an entire room full of people. So when he talked, and he was pretty soft spoken, he
10: everybody listened. That's just the kind of person he was.
3: Fair enough, John. Anything from you on that one?
10: Uh, yeah, yeah. Alan had the Jedi mind trick. Like he would pitch a bad, like a bad idea would be like uh, each race would have its language. Okay. So uh language we use languages would be a barrier of communication. Like I remember he had uh the idea of scrolls like you'd have to learn a specific language in order to understand the scroll and that scroll could contain a spell or could contain a, a quest. This is very early on to the game and everyone's going, oh wow that's such a cool idea. Oh that's such a cool idea. But it really isn't a, a pain it sounds like a pain in the ass when humans can't talk to dwarves because there's something like you've got to level up your language to understand your friends it's a, it's a really awful awful idea but and here's like one of the best game designers in the world just you know throwing ideas out there and he talked in such uh let's see uh i i, I don't want to like pretend i i i i'm not gonna do it i want to Adam impression, but he would talk in such a soft spoken uh, manner that everybody kind of leaned in. And after he was done, he usually had ideas that nobody else had thought of before. And we'd all go, ooh, that's a cool idea. And, you know, whether or not it was a good idea, we would do that. But then, you know. Uh, a week or two later, he'd go, yeah, that's a stupid idea, too. He, he'd realize it just as well.
3: Mm. Guys, I, I'd be really interested to know, we've obviously had some news recently with, you know, Mike Moreheim, That that's sort of not recent news, but, you know, of the last 12 months or so obviously has stepped away from from his role at Blizzard now and is enjoying retirement. But then we've got, you know, other people as well. Like another notable one is Frank Pierce. He's another one of, um, you know, the well-known old heads of the company who's stepped away as well recently when you hear in keeping up with the news and um john i'll start with you on this one and then we'll throw it over to kevin in hearing the news about this um what do you guys sort of what's your reactions having worked for the company and seeing the people that kind of were there and built it up into what it is today now starting to walk away
10: i i I honestly think he is comfortable with the people who are in charge of things you know like uh when alan stepped away from world of warcraft what he would do is he would just stop showing up and it would kind of force he was hoping that kevin and eric would like just make the decisions you know on their own and just like you know so i think it might be some of that where uh mike is just comfortable with the people who's in charge of things he may just realize that look, I don't have to be there. I, I he, he may realize that he's slowing things down by being there, be by you know, because the more you know people in charge, the more people who have to sign off on things. But honestly, I think he was just comfortable with the people who are there uh in charge, uh, you know, and uh you know, pursued other things. I mean when Alan Adham left, he went to uh uh Jeez, it was uh analytics based uh stock market uh hedge funds. Like that's that's what his dream was after mm. he left Blizzard. So, you know, you, you, you have these are very smart people. They they pursue other other things. So um, you know, I think uh that could have been it, but I don't have any That's all speculation. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Fair enough. Kevin, um, how about you? What was your reaction to to news like that when you see these um, well-known names uh, sort of walking off into the sunset?
9: Uh, I I wasn't surprised at all. In fact, I'm surprised, and John will know what I'm talking about. Um, I'm surprised it took as long as it did. I think people can only do things the same thing for so long before they really just desperately need new challenges. They need to put their creativity towards something else. Um, And I don't, I don't know how much their roles changed over the decades, you know, that they were doing the thing they were doing, but uh, it has to come with some measure of fatigue. And so, um, yeah, I'm surprised that they just, you know, stuck it out. But obviously a lot of us get, you know, stuck in because it's our, our way of life and it's our you know the way we pay the bills and but uh i think our brains sort of need new things mm-hmm. so yeah I was, I was kind of surprised it took this long to be honest like it seemed natural that they would stop at some point
10: and, and if i can interject uh one thing uh, mike morheim used to have the uh credo that he wanted to work on every single blizzard title. He he started out as a programmer. I mean, mm-hmm. so did Alan. So had uh, Frank, they were all programmers. And uh Mike was the program like he was a programmer's programmer and he wanted to have some code on every single game that Blizzard shipped. That's the mm-hmm. thing that he he wanted to stay grounded and you know, I think World of Warcraft might have been one of the first ones that he didn't uh, do and you know, he's pushed up into a role. He, he loves code and he's pushed up into a role, a role of, you know, managing people, you know, and if that's really not where your passion is, how many decades can you do that? Uh, so, yeah, I, I totally Kevin raises a very good point
3: now. John, I'll keep it rolling with you and Kevin. Again, I'll get you to start up once John's done. But one thing I wanted to ask about as we go in towards the tail end of this call is, we've talked. You know, we talk about your favourite memories from back in the day with Blizzard and and the group together. And you guys have told, or at least sort of alluded to, just very briefly in little snippets on this show, this kind of what seems to me to be like a famous viewing of the lord of the rings together like this was almost a pivotal moment in the design of world of warcraft now i'm sure you guys had a great idea of what the game was going to be before this but it seemed to be a gelling together of ideals and the team really had a great night out and geeked out over all of this so john i'll start with you can you remember that night and tell us a little bit of a story about what happened i'll let kevin and you go back and forth and kevin pick up once john's done
10: I actually remember it very clearly. It wasn't uh it wasn't a night, it was a lunchtime. Uh we saw we had seen when the company grew to a size that we couldn't hold team meetings uh, or company meetings in the building. We actually had to rent out a movie theater and so we would just happen to see whatever movie was playing at the time and we had seen a long string of horrible movies uh jeez uh, i can't even remember dungeons and dragons was one like we had tried to go like related to a game dungeons like and a, dragons yeah <laughs> a video game and like a video game movies they were all just awful and this was honestly, you know, the first Lord of the Rings was the first really good movie that we'd seen in a long time together. Uh, yeah, and obviously it's a very emotional movie, and people came back. It's like it, it felt like, uh, you know, Swords and Sorcery was being dealt with seriously. You know, it's not a joke. You know, when the Dungeons and Dragons movie came out. It was, you know, it was like the first Batman series. It's a joke. You know, it's tongue in cheek or campy. And I can't stand campy uh, uh, approaches to horror, science fiction or fantasy. Uh, So I think that was just. And, yeah, we borrowed a lot of stuff. I did lower uh, Black Rock Spire from, you know, uh, the Lord of the Rings. And uh, uh, we got the death effects. From, you know, putting on the ring. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was just something great to see, uh, together. I don't think, other than little systems, little ideas here and there, yeah, like we totally stole, you know, cool things from Weta when they would, you know, invent it. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was basically, we're so happy that it was a good movie, basically.
3: Okay. Kevin, do you have, um, distinct memories of that day as well?
9: Yeah, I
10: do. Um,
9: Uh, I remember uh, talking to an artist after um, the movie and just saying like, I don't know about you, but I was working the whole time because it was inspiring me the whole time (laughs) about things we could do and giving me ideas and, you know, Uh, but the, the, the real thing that that movie did for us, I think as a team was it proved that quality is King. Like it doesn't matter what the, what the, the setting is it doesn't matter what it is you're trying to make if you take it seriously and and work hard to make it very high quality it's going to be amazing and and lord of the rings was the perfect example of that like every other fantasy sort of you know game before or movie before that was like john was saying super campy and, and corny and making fun of nerds and you know things like that but this movie took itself seriously, uh, but it also had some humorous moments, and that's what we all kind of went back to the office and made sure we did with Wow. Was we're going to make a world and it's serious, but we're going to mix in a little bit of humor here and there, um, and we're just going to take the whole project really seriously and make sure it's not just this goofy, you know, like product that you end up putting together it's you know we put ourselves into it and we make sure it's very high quality and if we do it'll be great
3: now guys I'll finish up with this question I'll get both of you to to hit me up on this one John once again I'll start with you and obviously guys World of Warcraft Classic is so close now it's right around the corner well sorry I'm not sure when I'll publish this interview it might have just been released so or it might just be coming out we'll see how it goes but either way it's here so I just want to ask, while I've got both of you on the same line, you've seen the build-up of this community, the resurgence around the re-release of this game. You've seen these YouTube channels, these podcasts, you know, me constantly hassling you guys, saying, please come back on my show. We've got so much to talk about. And you guys have been so fantastic to devote Hours and hours and hours of conversation time to count down to classic to talk about the re release of work that you did 15, 18 years ago. In knowing that this is now coming very soon, do you get a bit of a sense of pride in your former work and how do you feel about? The fact that it's been so openly embraced by so many people and didn't just turn into some forgettable thing in a dark corner of the internet that nobody cares about, John, go for it.
10: I I'm kind of more nervous that it might because this has never been done. Like no one's ever released a 15 year old game, you know, uh, widely before. You know, I mean, yeah, Doom two has been remade so you can play it on your iphone or something like that but oh for M-
3: mmos is, it's a first for sure
10: yeah it's it, it, so i i would worry that people would play it and say oh this is too hard this is stupid you know and it would be rejected that would feel like i'm i'm, I'm kind of like worried that that's going to be res- the response and that's totally not going to be the response from what my friends who are playing the game uh they some of them say it's going to replace retail so uh i don't know certainly about that but uh i yeah i do i, I feel very proud uh that it's um um it's being uh, appreciated and that a newer generation can actually uh get in at the crest of the wave, you know, when you're uh fighting each other for candles in Goldshire, you know, that's gonna be kinda cool to uh see again. But uh yeah, it's it's it feels good
3: yep sorry I, I should correct myself and, and john i'll let you know this is one as well I, as soon as i said that f- something felt weird it, it's it's it has been done before in the mmo genre it's obviously we've got old school runescape, uh, runescape and uh, everquest as well uh, as well have done it but i would argue that yes what world of warcraft doing does feel a little bit different just due to the amount of people that this game touched um but sorry that is that's one of the the, the strangest things i've said on the show i should have known that but kevin i'll throw it over to you how about you do you i mean you you as well you've been you know streaming now you've been talking about this game all the time on your stream on this podcast do you now sort of understand And i'm sure you've understood for some time the gravity behind the passion of the community and what this re-release means to people and does it make you feel warm and fuzzy inside
9: oh yeah absolutely warm and fuzzy it's it's been pretty overwhelming um the support for, you know, and obviously I'm pretty biased. You know, I I helped work on the design, so I believe in it. Um, And I, but I was out, I was out of the sort of the MMO game in terms of as as a player for like seven years after I left Blizzard. And so I come back and my honest hope was that we'd be living the next generation or even two generations later in the design. People would have taken the early games and built on them and built on them and built on them. And I could have jumped back into some offering from some company that was that next level. Um, So I'm a little bit sad that (laughs) we have to go back in time, you know, to get that experience because it's not currently available, but for the same reason, I'm actually reasonably convinced that the game will (laughs) create a new resurgence of excitement over the MMO industry, you know, and the the MMO genre and what makes it great because, you know, what's currently out there is, you know, not really filling that niche, you know, that filling that need. So I I'm pretty, I'm feeling pretty positive. It's going to be pretty well enjoyed.
3: I'm glad to hear you say that, mate. And obviously the community shares your um, your hope and, and there is a lot of positivity going around at the moment and it's been a long journey but here we are and and i'm so glad that the two of you joined me for this call it was really great to hear the two of you sort of combined and and catching up again on old times it it means a lot to the community in terms of the the work that you two have put into the game back in the day and to have made yourselves so available um for for all the things that you've done over the last year in terms of talking about the making of the game And, and obviously i i'm forever indebted to you for all the time that you've devoted to this show as well and guys thank you so much please do enjoy the launch of world of warcraft classic i know kevin you'll be playing john i know you'll just be watching but you know i really hope that you guys enjoy it and get a kick out of it so john i'll say firstly once again everyone the author of the wow diary please go and check it out on amazon tell us john what's the latest update with the book
10: uh, the latest update with the book is it's available worldwide on uh, Amazon.com and you can get the PDF at the dot So, uh, uh, check it out. It's available.
3: <laughs> Very good. And Kevin, why don't you throw in a big plug for me? It's your... amazing. It, it is amazing. It's absolutely amazing, that book. I couldn't recommend it more. Kevin, tell us a, a bit about what's going on with your channel. No doubt you have got grand plans for the launch of WoW Classic. Tell people where they can find you and what you're going to be doing.
11: Uh, yeah, I'm
9: on uh, Twitch TV slash Kevin Jordan, and you can come by. We talk about WoW just about every night, regardless of what I'm playing um we're currently doing the last stress test for beta and that's been pretty fun having some cozy campsite fireside chats (laughs) once the game actually launches we'll have a guild it'll be horde we'll be on a pvp server it's going to be great and uh yeah we're just going to kind of relive we're going to make some new friends we're going to make some new stories
3: absolutely uh, in
9: world of warcraft so come join us
3: Very good, mate. And John, I'm just hearing in Twitch chat, you'll be pleased to know that uh, listener Van Bracken says, we use the WoW Diary at work as a management tool. So there you go. You're giving off some uh, key advice about uh, management maybe in the book too.
10: Yeah, I do get into uh, team structure and, you know uh team communications how to do it right how to do it wrong so (laughs) very good i i I go there i go (laughs) very
3: good all right guys well look thank you so much we'll speak to you later
10: thanks josh take care thanks for having me on
3: All right, it's time for another countdown to Classic Call, and I'm so happy to have back on the show, Sarah. How are you, mate?
12: Doing fine. Thanks for having me again, Josh.
3: My absolute pleasure. Now, you again wrote me a fantastic email, just like you did last time on the show. It's these really, really in-depth emails that grab my attention from you, and you really did a a fantastic job of spelling out exactly what was going on with the respawns that people had seen on the stress test. Now, a lot of you have noted, hey, what's going on with the respawns? Is this dynamic respawns or, or what's happening here? And we've already mentioned very briefly on the show that no, this isn't dynamic respawns. This is something slightly different that we have heard information over the last 6 months or so that basically Blizzard does have a little system of their own in order to ensure that people who are leveling in the same area will still have access to, you know, the right amount of mobs if you will, so no one is really left out. Now, Sarah, you explained it really well because I was a bit in the dark on this one and the absolute technicalities you spelled out for me so why don't you go ahead and lay that on everyone else for us
12: well technically both systems are dynamic respawn and the way that they change a static system based on certain criteria but it's the same system that was already in place in the original World of Warcraft it was a common system in games back in the day that's a little bit less taxing for the servers I will have to touch a little bit on the technical side here, but looking back at the previous call, I'll try to keep that short and go with easy-to-grasp pictures to make it easier for people to understand what we are talking about. So, first things first, um, a little definition for video games in 2D and 3D environments. It's just a term that you will hear a lot uh, in the next couple of minutes um in procedurally generated games as well as in handcrafted games like world of warcraft certain areas in the maps are usually referred to as chunks they can be just in minecraft 100 times 100 blocks or in world of warcraft certain areas in the zone that's not this doesn't mean it's the entirety of westfall but it means like it could be the coastline of Westfall, or just a little small tucked away mining area. The respawn systems work both for retail and the vanilla system, addressing these as little rooms in a building. That's the easier form to think about them. And I will use an example of just a room filled with 50 bores to, to work you through the two systems So it makes, to make it easier to understand for people how they work. Retail World of Warcraft, the so-called dynamic respawn system, is primarily based on how many active players are in a chunk or close to an active chunk. Just a system reacting, if there are more players nearby, I have to accelerate the respawn rates to make sure that everyone has NPCs to fight. The vanilla system is something that was in the old days referred to as a population-based system. It's completely ignoring how many players are in a chunk and it's primarily working to keep a certain entity, non-player entity, count in an area. That's why it's also referred to as the pop-up respawn or repopulation system. Let's look at our little example and walk first through the retail version of the game. If I'm sending one player into this room with 50 boars in it and the player kills one boar, That boar will respawn after a certain amount of minutes, let's say 5 minutes, and that's probably what you would expect. The player with high gear or high level could easily clear out the entire room and kill all 50 boars if they are fast enough. That's entirely possible. And if we send more players into this room, the system would react. It notices, hey, there are a lot of players here, I need to address the respawn rates. I have to change into the dynamic system and adjust them accordingly. People can still kill all boars in the area, but the wait time will be much shorter. And if we toss 100 players into this room, well, the system more or less panics. There are way too many players in that room, in this chunk, and the respawn rates end up on ridiculous levels like just mere seconds, or you have NPCs respawning on top of their corpses, because there are just too many players in it. That's something we can see in world quests, on very popular rewards and and, um, (coughs) systems like that. We also have an extreme example of those 100 players just picking on one little boar, one little piglet. They've all decided they're turning into a circle and they just kill it over and over again, just like a named NPC, for example. And this NPC will still respawn almost immediately. The system only cares about, hey, there are so many players here, the respawn rates need to go up. Now, the vanilla system works very different in those those examples. The system is there to ensure that a certain population will be maintained in this room. It can kick into action the moment the last boar gets killed or if I have a more aggressive value, as it's been referred to in the latest blue post regarding dynamic spawning, that came up after I've wrote this email for you, I've just added it later on, Um, it could be an aggressive value that ensures there will always be at least 10 living boars in this room. So let's look at how our little example works out in the vanilla system. One player walks into the room, kills one boar, nothing changes. The boar will respawn after five minutes and we can pretty much move on. If that one player tries to clear out the entire area, it will either be a very short-lived victory because the system will kick into effect the moment the last boar gets killed and immediately repopulate the area with a certain amount of boars, or we will see the system starting the moment only ten boars are left, a player kills one, and the population immediately grows by a certain amount, basically rendering the task impossible for a player to clear the area. Even if we add more players into the room, the system will trigger more often. Players will see NPCs respawning with multiple numbers more often, but it's still impossible to clear the area. And once again, if we toss 100 players into this room, like in a starting area, NPCs will respawn on top of their corpses, because they are killed so fast they drop below a certain threshold and the game repopulates the area. It looks as if it were dynamic spawning, but the system never touches the respawn timers. It's just making sure there are supposed to be at least 10 boars in there and you're just killing them too fast. The big difference, however, is something that we've always also seen on the last stress test, and that is if 100 people dogpile on one NPC, like one named NPC that you need for kill credit, all of a sudden we had people waiting, forming up lines and grouping up to get the kill credit shared among them. Because the system doesn't care about 100 players being in the room. it's just there to make sure, well, there's supposed to be a certain amount of NPCs in it, and if people don't kill the 49 other boars, well, then they will have to wait the full time. The only issue that I really have with the hosting that the community manager or part of the classic team made is that they've also spilled the information that the system applies to OR clusters and HERBs, and I really hope that they will lock this down because you can completely destroy an economy if you abuse this. Well, why don't you tell us... I'm not going to... Well, just real quick,
3: you're probably about to say you're not going to go into the details there, but obviously some people will have had their interest peaked in terms of, you know, we think of things like Black Lotus and whatnot. So just real quick in a nutshell, tell us what the implications might be there.
12: I'm not 100% certain, certain on how it works with Black Lotus. We have abused the system with thorium, um some people may know some infamous farming routes like the Eastern Platelands route that almost takes between 35 to 40 minutes to only pick on the rich thorium veins but that's not triggering the system because the rich thorium veins are parts of other areas that also have mithril or other or small thorium veins in it and people usually ignore them on their big routes. But if you know where to position your characters and you have just enough players for it and you know which chunks are connected there, you can basically have people standing on top of those locations right-clicking and just because the combination of these ore clusters gets completely farmed by all players immediately, they just have to right-click and eventually the ore will spawn in front of them. The combination of player can farm more materials, more herbs or more ore than what people would usually do in normal weeks worth of farming in just mere hours. The point that I didn't want to go into details is I don't want to specify where to go for it. We've always used it when someone on our server got the Sunderfury, uh, both parts of Sunderfury or another eye for Sulphurus but the example that I can use here is a TBC example because it won't affect um, the classic experience for players. The Netherwing reputation in Burning Crusade basically could, ex- could be exploited the same way because the system also applies to quest objectives. Netherwing will always have a certain amount of eggs lying around on the island, and in this old version of World of Warcraft where you don't have shards to split up the areas, You can move in with 18 people, park them on top of the spawn locations, and every time when all eggs are gathered up, new eggs will spawn. People can finish the reputation within one evening. And if you think about that with ore and herb prices, you could destroy a market with with this knowledge. People didn't have that in the old days, and I really hope that they something about the thresholds there because that's both ill now that the information was spilt.
3: With the extra little information that we got in that blue post and obviously what people discovered in that second uh, stress test, I guess the one thing that, you know, scrubs like me would be wondering that you can explain, even though you've you've done such a fantastic job of spilling it all out, the answer's already there, but just for clarification, a lot of people on particularly packed private servers had the experience where, you know, you'd Jump into, you know, like the, um, uh, the, I'm trying to think of the name of it, Benethil Baroden, I think it is, the the Night Elf starting zone, or caves around, um, you know, uh, the, um, Valley of Trials when you have to go and get the burning, uh, blade uh, medallion, I believe it is. Basically any cave area that had a lot of players flowing in there at the same time, and you're going through mobs, people were getting stuck in the case because the respawns were at such a high rate that they were struggling to get out. Um, Do you know if this might be something that comes up in Classic, or you think we'll be fine?
12: That's one of the downsides of the system. and It could very well happen. Both systems have advantages and disadvantages, just that's the very nature of them. The benefit is usually that the population-based system is something that's really good if you're grinding in an area. Such tucked away mines or uh, caves are a pristine location for this. I've, if you remember from my initial email when I was touching the farming routes of leveling guides, never touching grind spots like this, because the my example was the howling whale and ashen whale is also one of these tucked away areas where you only have a certain amount of NPCs in there. And if people are killing them because they need quest credit or something else in the low-level zones, then yes, NPCs will also aggressively repopulate in those areas. In the worst case, you will be forced to hard out or to corpse your way out because or just group up. That's sadly the downside that you will have to deal with in such an overcrowded area where everyone is trying to kill these NPCs.
3: Very interesting. Now, Sarah, I guess as a final point, and again, thank you so much for doing such a great job of explaining this to us. But as a final point, are you happy with the system? Basically, did you get to play around in the stress tests? And how do you think on that launch day when absolutely the servers are going to get hammered with the influx of players, do you think that people will be up in arms about what's happening or there will be somewhat of a manageable situation?
12: It fairly depends. And also also partway on the areas, for example, the human starting zone needs kill credits in areas where people are not farming that much, and well, that's one of the spots where we've seen queues building up, whereas some of the kill credit that you need in night elf areas is in a zone where people are also aggressively farming NPCs, so those named NPCs don't create bottlenecks, where people may see themselves unable to complete certain quests it's one way or another an extreme situation and well you can't please everyone that's just an impossible task either way
3: Alright mate well look um, thank you so much for for coming on and and giving us your thoughts about that any final points before I let you go?
12: Well you are right to say that classic World of Warcraft has dynamic spawning but it's not the dynamic spawning that you think it is
3: (laughs) okay fair enough all right sarah we'll, well i can't wait to speak to you about the next uh, topic that you might raise or receive the next email from you you really are phenomenal with the intricate detail that you go into with these things and do such a great job of explaining it to everyone so mate please do not be shy in contacting me and we can't wait to uh hear from you in the future
12: well it wouldn't be possible without your great show josh that's all there is to say it
3: <laughs> thanks mate All right, it's time for another countdown to Classic Call, and we are going to do a relatively quick one here on a very crucial subject, though, of add-ons and things that you should be keeping an eye on as we get into the launch of World of Warcraft Classic. Obviously, a lot of people are very interested in this. A lot of us do use add-ons. We'll talk about sort of how much we use add-ons, how much is too much, or how much is too little, and it's something where it's tough because a lot of them are still under development a lot of them are still a bit broken but there are some that are 100% working we'll go through some of our favorites we'll talk about what's working what's not and what you should keep an eye out for I welcome back to the show again Mike how are you brother
13: I'm doing well Josh good to be here
3: good to have you man and we welcome back as well another person who I always am so happy to have here Uh, I don't talk to you as much as I need to uh it's Minoru how are you mate
11: Hello, I'm doing all right. How about yourself?
3: Doing real well, mate. I hope uh, everything's going well with you. Now, guys, let's get straight into it. Mike, you let me know that uh, you were a good person for this call because you have used every add-on under the sun. Now, I am someone as well who really... I do enjoy the world of add-ons, and if anything, if people watched my stream last night and had a bit of a laugh at me, sometimes I go way too nuts, and I need to sort of settle down a little bit with the add-on use. But, Mike, I'd ask this... How much is too much when it comes to add-ons for you?
13: Um, I would say I probably use about maybe 10 add-ons, mainly because a, a, a few of the add-ons I use are a bundle of add-ons. So if I didn't have those certain add-ons, it would probably actually end up being a lot. You you can have a lot of add-ons. You just have to make sure they work with each other. That, that, could, be a, that could be a hard part. Some add-ons are not compatible with each other.
3: Right. Minoru, how about this? Because I, I had a really good point raised by Locke last night when I was installing, you know, 25 add-ons onto my uh, UI when I was trying out the stress test. And Locke was like, Josh, Josh, Josh pump your brakes there is such a thing as as too much and another person was like it's you're starting to make it look like the retail version of the game like don't you want to differentiate between the two so i'll ask you like do you have a limit do you think that there is a point that people can start to mess with the ui too much to the point that it's not really like what it should be you
11: are asking the wrong person because (laughs) (laughs) back in (laughs) vanity i had a hundred plus add-ons going on when when Mike was saying he was running like 10 add-ons, I was thinking, okay, yeah, your add-ons are running like a sleek ship, like streamlined. I'm just running a ramshackle, I don't know, cart or something. But there there is a, a certain sense of, yes, when you're first setting up add-ons, you really absolutely should be doing things like a couple at a time because if you're just going to slap a hundred together all at once, you're going to just log in to a complete mess and there are going to be conflicts you really need to do things a little bit at a time and get
3: yeah, don't do what I did and install 30 at one time and just dive in the deep end. I definitely recommend uh, what Minoru has said there. But guys, look, let's get through the essentials here. A lot of people are starting to come out with videos and everything talking about, you have to have this add-on and you have to get that add-on. Let's talk about just, you know, actually, let's start with this, Mike, because you you've foreshadowed it earlier and we've been talking about this a fair bit lately. And when you talk about an add-on that kind of does it all or just, you know, it's something that reconstructs your your UI with a bunch of all-in-one tools we talk about first and foremost things like LVI, and it has been said, I, I said to you a few weeks ago, I don't think that one's going to be ready for launch, but it does turn out that apparently it is. So talk about what LVI is and why it's important to you. Uh,
13: so LVI is basically just a collection of some of the best add-ons and it, uh, and it basically just completely overhauls the entire uh, user interface. It, it has it has uh one bag, tidy plates, move everything, um, separate separate chat windows on your left or right corner. Um uh oh god, what the hell else? Um I've been I've been using LV I take LVI for for granted for so long that I forget all the specific add ons that are tagged in other than those immediate ones, but just the way it's presented, it's so sleek, it's sm- so smooth, it's a little hard to use at first if you're fairly new to it. S- setting it up all-, all up exactly the way you like, it can be a little daunting, but once you have that perfectly clean, crisp L- uh, LVI setup, it's it's unbelievable. It's the best add-on I've ever used.
3: Okay, so that one's got the mic seal of approval. Minoru, I'll throw it over to you. Do you use LVI or do you have any other recommendations for these all-in-one type UI, UI fixes?
11: Uh, back in vanilla, uh, I, of course, used a huge ramshackle collection. But when I gave Retail a try a couple months ago, I gave LVUI a try. And I was absolutely impressed with the complete package. And I, once it gets released for a classic, I would absolutely give it my seal of approval. It, if, like, For someone who is like completely new to add-ons and is afraid to try it, I would absolutely recommend it.
3: All right, let's talk about other add-ons uh, that maybe aren't sort of the all-in-one variety. Mike, when we go first, we talked about this last night on stream. When we talk about first cab off the rank in terms of what is an absolute necessity, people, you know, threw out the suggestions, things like, um, you know, threat meters and uh, one bag and stuff like that. What are your sort of top three must-haves?
13: My top three must-haves is um, definitely a threat meter, because especially even with dungeons, because if you get grouped with a bad tank, you really have to watch your threat. Um, probably omni cc I really like seeing um the the durations uh the durations of stuff and and cooldowns uh and a cat and a even even with um even if you're uh, with me playing a rogue having like enemy cast bars and mob health i think those are all pretty essential
3: all right minoru what about your top three
13: ooh uh, that's something
11: i can't really think of considering uh you know a hundred plus add-ons I can't really narrow it down so much. That's all I Just uh, blur out, blur
3: out your, a bunch of your favorites then.
11: Uh shoot! Uh, like one bag slash bag non, uh, outfitter slash item rack. One bag. Oh shoot! I already. Uh, Leatrix. I have not tried yet, but uh, it's got a very huge suite of abilities that seems very uh Titan panel is very very classic it was actually part of Cosmos which was like the first add-on suite ever i've been i'm I'm just too attached to it it's got you can just attach to so many m- modules to it just just take it uh, a lot of people call it ugly but i uh trinket menu is also incredibly
3: useful no, i uh, assume- a lot of people would so I was going to say I must admit I'm a huge uh, I'm a huge fan of Titan Bar as well. I was glad to see that that one apparently is working for Classic 2. Sorry, you are saying trinkets and
11: uh, trinket panel. I was just saying that that one's incredibly useful once you have a lot of trinkets. If you're juggling that, uh, very useful for.
3: Okay. Sorry, guys. I'm wrestling a dog here as this call is going on as well. Yeah,
13: yeah, I see him. He's like, oh, he's
3: going after the mic. He is going after the mic. He wants to talk about add-ons. He's very excited. Now, Mike, what are some (laughs) add-ons do you think people might get excited about that could probably easily hit the cutting room floor? Hmm.
13: Add-ons that people could get excited about?
3: Hmm. I mean, what are uh, what are ones that you hear a lot of talk about? Like, this is so good, you've got to have it, and you're kind of uh, like, ah. like
13: I hear I hear a lot of talk about Questy, and I I actually haven't used it very much mainly because I've played Vanilla so much, I don't need an add on to guide me through where everything is. Um, for me personally, I think that I think that sounds a little overrated. Um, also, especially since people like really say they want to get into like experiencing Vanilla and exploring the world again, I feel like. Questy is a little disingenuine disingenuous to uh the classic experience, if you ask me. But I mean I if if you want to use
3: it, go right ahead. Yeah, it's definitely a bit of a divisive topic and I talked about this very, very briefly on on stream yesterday and I can't decide what I'm going to do with it because, you know, we've obviously had Aero on who's a lovely guy who developed Questy e, and, and he told us so many great things about, you know, the history of that add-on and, and the fact that he wanted to get it working for Classic and he's very much so done that. So, congratu- big congratulations to Aero. But the, the And he acknowledged this on the call when I asked him about it. He said, look, I understand that this is a bit of a controversial add-on for Classic because a lot of people say that's not what classic is all about. And Patricia said that as well. She's like, Why are you even thinking about getting a quest add on? That's like not what you do in classic, isn't it? You're supposed to read the quest text and do the thing. And I'm like, Yeah, but a lot of people have done the quests a million times and kind of just want to turn off that part of their brain and, and go and do it, which, yes, is a little bit like modern WoW. I understand that. But Minoru, where do you fall on kind of the ethics of Questy and, and whether people should or should not feel bad about downloading it?
11: Well, I guess I'm 50-50 on it. I can see the pros and cons. Uh, I've used it from time to time because, you know, I've been there, done that. But there have been some cases where I've been exploring and suddenly it's like, wait a minute, what's that over there? I've seen a quest, like, I, I didn't realize there was a quest over there. And suddenly I'm experiencing a piece of content that, like, I had absolutely no idea was there. and. Hey, a piece of discovery that I would have never found on my own. Not using Questy absolutely will give you a a more quote-unquote pure classic experience, and many would recommend that, especially for a first-time playthrough. Getting guided through the best quest paths for optimal XP gain could ruin that sense of discovery. Really, it's all about what you're looking for. Do you want to seek out the satisfaction of figuring things out for yourself, or do you want to have some guided tour of the best paths forward? Uh, people have different opinions on that, but that's the beautiful thing about add ons. It gives you a choice about it.
3: And that's a totally valid point to raise, 100%. But I think Pat raises a really good point as well on the other side in Twitch chat, where he says, you know, and he's not really taking the piss. He's saying, I'm old. I'm using Questy in terms of time is limited. And a lot of people, yes, you know, about probably 25 to 30% of the people that will be playing, playing Classic are over 30 and do have families and and jobs and everything. We don't have the time that we used to have. So there's a lot of that. Look, I've done it before. It's not really a new experience for me. So I need something that helps maximize my – or, you know, make my time more efficient, and Questy is that add-on. And – Honestly, guys, I'm still heavily considering using it. Um, I, I don't want, I, That might disappoint some people. I'm considering it. I haven't decided yet, but you might see it on stream for me. I'm just not sure yet. Um, Mike, have you decided if you'll put it in or not?
13: Uh, I'll probably have it installed, and I'll probably use it every once in a while for places, for probably zones I'm not uh, too familiar with, but I mean... I've leveled so many times in vanilla that I can, I can probably do it blindfolded, like figuring out where all the quests that I need to do are.
3: Yeah. Like I, I, I can definitely say from about the, the one to 35 ish experience that, that's nothing new to me. It's, it's from about 40 onwards where I really do forget where maybe Questy would be a little bit of a detriment to me. I'm not too sure. I'll see how I feel about it. But, um, moving on from that, guys. Uh what was there was another relatively divisive add-on. Oh, DBM of course is absolutely up and ready to go for World of Warcraft Classic. Same kind of question there guys, how do you feel about DBM?
13: I think it's fine. Um people used boss add-ons even back in vanilla to help with like announcing the mechanics or just like seeing the cooldowns and mechanics of bosses, so I I don't see it as a problem if people want to have like an even nicer crisper add-on for that kind of thing i uh, i think it's perfectly fine the people that get really reliant on it that can't that can't do the raids without them those are the people i have a problem with um especially because in vanilla there aren't that many mechanics you have to worry about and if you can't fucking deal with them on your own without
3: dbm then there's a problem fair enough minoru anything to chip in on that one
11: yeah, I think the version back then was like CT Raid Mod or something like yeah, that.
13: Yeah it, was, yeah, it was a CT Raid Mod. Or or like Big Wigs.
11: Yeah, something like that. Uh, maybe Big Wigs was uh, like Burning Crusade. Uh, either way. Uh, yeah, I don't have too much of a problem. It, it absolutely reduces the headaches for uh, raid leaders, and they need all the help they can get, really, for all the, you know, admittedly brain-dead uh, raiders that you can sometimes Uh, It's really hard to herd, you know, 39 cats. When you're new to a raid, a boss mod is kind of like training wheels. And when when you're experienced and you know the raid, it's kind of like guardrails. When you're at the top of your game and pay attention, yeah, go ahead and don't use a boss mod. But good luck convincing everyone else in your raid to do the same. Just keep in mind that sooner or later, chances are you're probably going to get distracted. You might get complacent or whatever. Something might come up and you'll die to a boss mechanic where otherwise the boss mod could have saved you. That happening once or twice doesn't really matter, but where it does matter is if that starts happening consistently. If you keep making avoidable mistakes, people are going to take notice.
3: I can imagine. Well, look, guys, let's uh, use these last uh, couple of minutes here just to shout out any add-ons that maybe aren't ready for Classic that you're hoping will be, or anything that maybe doesn't get a lot of love that you feel people should check out. Mike, go nuts on add-ons. Anything that we haven't talked about yet?
13: Um, I'm honestly not, not, not that much of a hipster when it comes to add-ons. I know, um, <laughs> uh, weak auras I, I know are very excellent. I haven't used them that much myself, mainly because, um, the like, the setup for them with everything is, is absolutely insane to me, at least, even compared to, like, LVUI, which can have a pretty, uh, lengthy setup time if you want to, uh, write, but, I mean... Most of the people like when you think of like add-ons. You want those are the add-ons I have. I've I've never really gotten crazy about using like oh these this here's this add-on you've never heard of. Yeah, you should totally use this.
3: Mm, Minoru, how about you?
13: I'd really like my old uh, item rack
11: back. <laughs> I I really used that a lot back then. Uh, advanced trade skill window uh, was really useful. Uh, let's see, uh, W I M like Warcraft Instant Messenger. Uh, poly power uh, would be pretty dang useful, but I think some of that functionality probably won't even be useful. Like a lot of these old add-ons, like they can't even be ported because of the uh, the paradigm has shifted
3: i'll give a shout out to a couple that we haven't mentioned i don't believe gatherer is one that you know i'm going to be really big on the gathering pr- profession so that's going to be huge good. for me i can't recommend that um you know anymore please go and get that one if you are going to be picking up those professions everyone and also i don't think we've mentioned this one a weapon swing timer uh, obviously my I know, it's funny guys because on the show last week i literally said like uh you know i'm doing a priest and a warlock i tried to hunter fuck hunters not playing a hunter the day after that call i retried a hunter and i decided to play a hunter as well so i've i've slotted the warlock out so my 1a and 1b characters are going to be a uh, priest and a hunter so a shot timer is very important for me so i'm going to go out and get one of those if you're a hunter please 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 look into getting one of those um but just weapon swing timers in general obviously pretty important right mike
13: um Actually, honestly, while leveling, I think weapon swing timers are pretty overrated. Uh, but for raiding,
3: are more. they more useful? Oh, raiding, raiding, it's
13: fine. Yeah, it's definitely more useful for leveling. I think it's absolutely useless. Um, uh, I've I've never had a problem with it. Um, with, but with auto shot timer for hunters, I definitely think it's very important. Being able to time your your yep. shots when yep. you're trying to kite a mob, that's super
3: important. Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong, if you're like even I at at this very very early basic level of playing a hunter, you can do it pretty easily just working out the timing and going by, you know, you know when your next auto shot is coming pretty much. But the timer really does make it a sweet science, which I do highly recommend. Now, guys, I I think that's about everything. Great Great job. We've covered uh, a few of the good ones to go out and get. And yeah, add ons, baby. Go dive in. Don't be shy. Don't let people tell you that getting even one add on waters down the classic experience. It doesn't. We all had add ons back in the day. It's all fine. So, you know, just don't be like me, maybe, and get or well, Minoru will get our 100 add ons and you won't be able to see anything on our screen. It'll just all be graphic uh, or UI elements. Uh, I was
13: just- I was about to say, I saw a lot more of what Minoru was talking about back in vanilla, actually, than the opposite. I, I saw a lot of fucking horrendous-looking UIs that were just a vomit of colors everywhere. I'm like, how the fuck are you even playing the game? Jesus Christ!
3: That'll be me. I can't wait to, to be that person who's just built the ugliest UI of all time. Sorry, Minoru, you were going to say something?
11: Well, I I was going to say, it's uh, make no claims that mine was pretty, but it was functional
3: very good very good be the best swiss you can army be knife. okay swiss army knife. with what sorry
11: oh okay. i got oh i was gonna say it's like a swiss army knife but i, I gotta <laughs> say for how much you uh claim to have loved manipulating the auction house i like we didn't say anything about like an auction
13: oh uh, 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 an auction, auctionator
3: auctionator yes yeah, sorry you're very auctionator,
13: good auctioneer auctioneer yeah, I really like Ox too. Yep, Ox is, Ox is, Ox is a super simple one, super minimalistic. Um, that's that's why I like that one so much.
3: You're very um, right to point that out, Minoru, and I was very remiss to leave that out because, right. yeah, I'll be leaning on Auctionator in um, World of Warcraft Classic, but I'll, I'll give you one little embarrassing tidbit as to why I may have left that out just then. Dirty little secret about me. Um, I got uh auction add-on quite late. I was late to the party on that, and all the money I made, I just did by, like, literally old-school pen and paper and, like, looking everything up. (laughs) I looked it all up on Alakazam. I looked it all up on, um... God, what was the other one? Um... But there was – where I mean, I really was impressed by the amount of um, data that was available back in the day that, you know, there were websites back then that absolutely had aggregated average server prices, and they would upload all the data. And you just punch in the item you're looking to sell, and it would give you the last, like, hundred prices for it on your server or whatever, and it was fucking brilliant. Um, oh, yeah. And-
13: also, another add-on I forgot to mention, uh, Postal. Postal's excellent fucking add-on. Um, like, just being ha- – having – if you have a million – uh, like auctions that sold, instead of having to click on them one time, you can just go collect all. And it's so nice.
3: Absolutely. All right, and, and we're getting in Twitch chat. Yes. Um. Yet another hunter timer. YAHT, Look out for that one. I'll bet That's the one I'll be keeping an eye out for. But oh, um. And atlas loot. Oh yes, yes, yes. Atlas loot. Absolutely. Uh, atlas
13: loot. Seeing the loot for the bosses. Uh, I don't think that's one super necessary, but uh, I guess the people that are new to classic, not knowing what loot drops from, bo- from bosses and dungeons, I think is important. Get um, that from- wish list. Uh, yeah, you can make a wish list too. Sure, sure. Um, also for the rogues energy watch, I really like that one. It's basically just a little bar showing you whenever you're about to get your when you're about to get a chunk of energy. I forgot. To, I forgot about that one.
11: I believe mages can also use it when uh, drinking to get their uh, like mana back.
3: Ah, very good. Well, look, we're up to what? 55 add ons that all three of us will have already. So that's fantastic, right? (laughs) Well, good luck. (laughs) Good luck to everyone in classic. Be sure to use the uh, time to set up your add ons. It is worth it in the end. And guys, thanks so much for being on this call. Mike, always a pleasure.
13: Always a pleasure, Josh. And happy to be here. And
3: Minoru, mate. Uh, You know, you and Mike, uh, you're so, um, you know, busy in the Discord, you're there all the time, you do so well, you know, with engaging with the community. I can't thank both of you enough for all of your efforts in making the countdown to Classic Discord, what it is, and so many people have have talked about how much they enjoy that Discord in particular, and and Minoru, it's so good to talk to you again, and and I just want to say thank you, and I can't wait to speak to you again.
13: Yep, it's what we do. My pleasure, Josh.
3: And that's the show for today, everyone. Look forward to more countdown next week and more fun calls as we celebrate the launch of this fantastic game. But before you go, let's do the thank yous to the following patrons. Let's see if I can do it in one breath again, and I won't get very far, but let's see how I do. Absolute Aggressor, Andy P, Anti, Bear of Pain, Binger, Brandon K, Bubba, Callum F, Chunky Dunk, CJ, Damian A, David F, David J, Dufficus, Gecko Mayhem, Halsey Spartan, Henrik B, Herbert, James S, Jamie S, John H, C, Josh W, K, Sir37, Minoru, Moon Bachu, MVP, Doug, Paul E, Randall H, Rasmus S, Rarebit, Rick S, L, uh... I think it's that same spot every time. RJ Leffert, Ryan K, Sylvia K, Stov, Suna Silfa, Tim B, Tim S, Tom S, Twigs, and Zudamos. And of course, the very dedicated, legendary patrons of Countdown to Classic. An extra special shout out and thank you from the bottom of my heart to those who dig very deep for the show every month. In 8 Count, Batlord, Billy C, Carsten, Eric C, Eric S, Firespitten Kitten, Flozy B, Freaky Fritz, Galgamir, Ida B, John N, Carl W, Nick B, Palfurus, Palfurus, that's night, Sierra S, Stephen B, Sterling, sorry, sorry, Sterling, I forgot him before. By the way, everyone, if you are a patron, a $10 or $20 patron, and I have forgotten to put your name in these lists, please do send me a PM and let me know. I would hate if i have left anyone else out. Apologies to Sterling for that. The Anton, Wilson Mar Vanifak, and Velarco. And by the way, I should say, Sterling wasn't naggy about it. He was lovely about it. I, just, I feel so bad. He was really, really polite, but I do sometimes leave people out, so sorry about that thank you so much to all those people for your phenomenal support of the show countdown to classic would not be on the air without your support so until next week that's it for today everyone go out and keep on leveling and i'll see you out there in the wide world of azure
1: 18 plus.